What is the five fingers? Say to the face! <laughs> what? Slap! Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air Born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school When a couple of guys who were up to no good Started making trouble in my neighborhood I got in one little fight and my mom got scared I said, I I begged and pleaded with her day after day But she packed my suitcase and sent me on my way She gave me a kiss and then she gave me my ticket I put my Walkman on and said I might as well kick it First class, yo, this is bad Drinking orange juice out of a champagne glass Is this what the people of Bel-Air living like? Hmm. Welcome to Taste the Stand Episode 192 And it's me, Gary Payne, of course The Professor right here Looking forward to the Harvest Bus, Gary Just me, you and Barney That's it, that's, no one else That's it, oh, Barney pulled out Barney's gone now Oh, for God's yeah, sake so we've no one It's just me and you Twiddling <laughs> our thumbs down the back Barney's going kickboxing Good man, he's back And he's in form Um... Yeah, so of course, Leicester Credit and Ocean Electrical are fantastic sponsors. They really are looking after us. They always do. They're great guys. Check them out. Leicester Credit, Ocean Electrical. Prof, when you get a bad day and you need some money, let's get it. To get you back. And Ocean Electrical will come up with something good for them. We just haven't done it yet. <laughs> Why do we keep using Selberg voices? Yeah. So yeah, uh, this week we've an interview with SRFC TV and uh, commentators Con Morphy and Garth's friends of the show. Uh, brilliant brilliant stuff coming up from them prof and the Tifties in memoriam George Ringo Bourne a stellar lineup. and we look ahead to our trip to Bally Buffet on Friday prof this can I say how much I loved talking about a deceased Rovers fan this is fucking unbelievable wait Ah. until you hear this boys this is something else we've now gained a review this week which Uh, is unusual for in season but this, I can see this being considered one of our best shows of the year. John Bourne gets man the match. Ah. <laughs> I can't even say that. Nothing can even prepare you for what John Bourne does. Oh, man. Um, yeah. So, Gary, how many Elfidas have said to you in the last three days? That's a grand stretch in the evenings now. No, no. Uh, just, oh, jeez, the weather's great. <laughs> that old one. Oh, yeah. And then you talk yeah. about it, about the evening getting longer, and then this, and then that, and then you're off on your way. And then you do it again, ten times, throughout the night. I keep telling you about the Sunny podcast, that they had been stitches again, they were ranting about daylight savings time. How yeah, talking about scrapping it, were they? They were, they were ranting because every year we give out about it, and we, we question, like, why does this exist? And we go mad for a day, and then we move on and forget about it, and yeah. it happens again, and then repeat. It's the same here, basically. Yeah. Uh, Slapgate, Prof, oh, football. Um, what's this stage, like... Because at first, right, so he was laughing about it. He was laughing about the joke. And then he just marched up and slapped the shit out of Chris Rock. Like, is, was it staged? It looked kind of WWE style, like, with the slap. But with the open hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but paper beats Rock. A, that was the joke. Yes, <laughs> a slap is a lot more offensive than uh, a dig. If he had punched him, it would be different. But a slap, 
that's like I'm, I'm trying to offend you so yeah. it's very very interesting it's the most analysed slap of all time it's ridiculous like, how, was it justified was it staged was he laughing first he was laughing until he got the side eye he was laughing but you could there's, there's different types of laughter yeah maybe awkward nervous, laughter awkward but he laughter. had the he gave it this solid like it wasn't an open hand slap it was a solid firm slap yeah. like a plank of wood getting hit with a plank of wood and did you see like the original footage like the sound yes that's what I'm thinking like when I saw it I was like nah surely not because I saw the edited version first where it was beeped out I only saw the proper version there earlier and oh my god the silence after he he's he a big man that. <laughs> no but the silence when he sits down and says that like you can hear crickets this is like awkward <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, last week's show with Kieran Kane on the Members Corner went down the street with a lot of text in uh, saying that he was really, really good and they loved it. So any other Members Corners, we're going to come up with a couple soon as well, Prof. We have the AGM coming up on Saturday. It's a big one, Prof. It's a big one. He yeah, talked about yeah. the Members Club as well, if you noticed. He talked about the Members Club, but he talked about running for the football club as well. So are, when when do we get to vote on that? Is that an, That's an issue as well, isn't it? Do we get to vote on the on the football club as well? We want to be able to vote who's on the football club. We still have that right, I'm, I'm guessing. So that's that's something I'd be interested in. Do we still have the right to vote individuals onto the football club as well? Mm. Um, but no, very interesting stuff from Kieran. Very positive man. It's the first members corner we actually did in a while, and someone pointed out there was a glitch in that interview. Uh, apologies for this. There was a weird cut during the interview, just when you asked him about Jody Byrne. It cut, I, and I don't know, I don't know how much of it was taken out. It could have been maybe a minute, but. Audacity has done that some weird shit on me. The audacity. In the last couple of years. And I remember that happening before, but I caught it. But it's not easy for me to catch without listening through the whole show again, which is very time consuming. Well, one in every 200 pounds. Well, I, I reckon it was only a minute at most. Because you went on to the, the homeless years then, which was your next question. But yeah, it was unfortunate because that's what we were talking about afterwards. The Jody Byrne, Alan O'Neill stuff. And that's what was missing. It's a strange but, uh, one though, isn't it? Bad luck, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, went down the tree. And Phelan sent us this. He said, Meant to congratulate you last week on Dancing in the City intro on Anthem of My Childhood. Loved it. Artist was Marshall Hayne. Hat tip to Prof Senior. Yep. Uh, Mick McCarthy, the real one. Great show, lads, but poor Gary had nothing to moan about this week. Bit of Claire Bourne in him, Mr. Cove. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't stop, does he? Yeah, and Dunster pointed out that, uh, remember we were talking about Berkey missing panels. Has he missed one? He pointed out that he did miss one in the President's Cup shootout oh, good last man, year. But I think I was only thinking about like during games. I think that's why I was only racking my brain and I wasn't thinking about shootouts. But uh, yeah, that, that is true. Uh, he has missed one in the shootout. Dangerous Dave Dunn, Prof. Uh, it was giving me loads of grief. I, I, had, I needed a haircut at the time and I had my hair swept to the side and I came in and Dave goes did you get here by motorbike <laughs> and I was like what he goes you didn't wear the helmet because <laughs> your hair was all over the place it was windy but yeah yeah, dangerous Dave Dunn Edinburgh he bumped into Craig Sibes who was unrecognisable on the street apparently and um, well, driving the buses well, apparently well like you say unrecognisable there's no way Dave could have looked at him and said oh that's Craig Sibes isn't there a family so, connection there with so the Dunn's though apparently it was the other way around CV spotted uh, Dave I'm nearly sure there's a good family connection there. They're friends, like it goes beyond football. So, and I was zooming in on his jacket, and it said Edinburgh 
bus tours and I remember him saying that yeah. to us in the interview Driving that he, the he drove the buses so yeah get him it, out for Glenmalore <laughs> it doesn't look like him but no <laughs> we didn't actually do that interview on zoom we did it on the phone so if it had been a case of we, we only did that what was it two years ago yeah was that what it was yeah Jesus <laughs> yeah so Johnny Ward and LOI Central Bowls were on football focus they should focus more on their football <laughs> stinger that's a little dig in the ribs, isn't it? It's true, though. Yeah, it's nice. Do you know it's Oli Cahill was on that show as well? Oli, Oli was brilliant again. Oli. I said this before. I think he'd be brilliant within a role for Rovers. I think he'd suit, suit like a liaison officer or something like that. Maybe we have one already and I don't know about it, but I just think that he'd slip into that role so perfectly. His son's a Rovers fan. Uh, uh, he was just really good. He speaks well. He knows how to deal with people. I think he's a really good guy. I think he's doing the rounds now that he's left the... PFEI job did you hear the interview on LOI Central like no one had talked to him in the canteen and yet in the FAI like that was nuts yeah I mean that I, was crazy uh, no I, one would talk to them in the fucking canteen I only asked him one question about that and because I wasn't sure would he be diplomatic would he even open up about it plus it was more of a robber centric interview but yeah Dan McDonald went into Look for a lot of detail on that, and it was actually good stuff. Yeah, that was some of that was crazy. Not not talking to him and all. All all down to John Delaney. I was, I was interested in, in in hearing him about the uh, the women's. Um, remember that thing a few years ago, the the women's national team. Yeah, I remember. I remember when for, it happened. Yeah, you know expenses and equality. Change and taking tracksuits yeah. off them. And then of course that stooge Noel King came out and said, "No, everything's grand. They don't need equality." Remember that whole thing? Need equality. I remember well. I still remember to this day. I was in the gym, seven in the morning on the treadmill, and I was looking at it going the fucking neck of him, the neck of him, <laughs> the neck. The Andy Lyons in forty two dot eight. The expectancy is one big thing I noticed. I'm walking into a dressing room where I'm probably the only person who hasn't won a league title because Jack Bourne came back having won there before. That mental shift of expectancy, the expectancy to win games, every game you play you're expected to win. Dealing with that pressure is a big difference. That was one mental shift I found when I walked in to the dressing room. So um, good stuff of of uh, Andy Lyons there. Really look forward to seeing him again this week, Prof. Yeah, he's only 22 and he's already doing his UEFA B licence. Now that's the man who plans ahead. Really? Yeah. Wow. Greener's on the one as well. Greener's doing his. It's because he has free times in the e- in the evening now. Because he's training in the morning as opposed to good head in the shoulders. But uh, is he do with bows? And uh, yeah, I think that that Sligo game that was the most obvious man to match I can recall in a while. Yeah, it like, was actually a good show. Like when I when I'm watching the game, like especially after the error mark, I'm thinking about who I'm possibly going to interview. I'm thinking of questions. Mm. And sometimes I'm like, oh, well, I don't know who it is. Is it going to be Danny? Is it going to be Jack? So I can't really plan him. But with that one, it was just like, okay, Andy. It's Andy. Uh, write some questions down now. Yeah, so we have Jack Bourne on episode three, Clear the Head Prof, premiered on Friday evening. And once again, brilliant stuff. Extremely honest. Very, very honest. I actually haven't gotten around to seeing this one yet. Failed uh, medical. Failed medical over there in Cyprus. But uh, now I'm hearing incredible things about this. And so I'm looking forward to watching. Probably about tonight, actually. And... Um, something we didn't talk about like I talked to Conan Garst for nearly an hour here and we talked about clear the head off air and then as he was speaking I was kind of like a bollocks why, why am I recording this but maybe it worked out well because he was on the big kickoff as well this week or was last week and he actually went into a lot of detail about that segment so I'd encourage you to check that one out the big kickoff with Garst uh, he talks about it it's really good 
this is more about the commentary and the Sligo game and, and loads of different topics. But he did he did tell me that he's enjoying the old wander around the Hellfire Club. Uh, when he did league race, Lee said to him, right, let's go. Marsh him up the hill, the old army training. He's going to have to get a new pair of jeans, new pair of runners. <laughs> stop, stop trying to get all fancy for the camera. Dress down, get your get yeah. your ASICs on and get walking up that hill, guards. And in the interview, he said the the big kickoff when he said that uh, Hellfire Club was chosen for obvious reasons. It overlooks Tala. The views are, are phenomenal. Jack said he hadn't been up there before. That was Jack's first time Fuck up the off. Hellfire Club. Yeah. Is he from Dublin? Uh, are you for real? Allegedly. Such a towny thing, isn't it? <laughs> Fuck's sake. Yeah. And Gareth said that... Gareth said he barely spoke at one stage for, for 20 minutes because he was just listening to Jack. And he said he looked at the camera <laughs> in amazement as if to say... <laughs> are you getting this? Are you getting this? This is gold. Are you getting this? So, Prof, we have another absolute cracker coming up. Um, sequels that are better than the original. We were saying The Dark Knight. Dark Knight is better than Batman Begins. Some you you vehemently deny that Aliens is better than the original Alien. Yeah, I watched them again recently, and no, first Alien is is superior. Uh, Mad Max, I'd say the original Mad Max is absolutely battered by the remake. <laughs> the remake is unbelievable. I what need, a, what I a need time to sit down and think about this. One. Yeah, it is. It's a tough one, but uh, yeah. So we have the sequel, and we have Con and Gertz. Okay, so we have them back in the show. It's the best duo since Twiggy and Baker. It's Con Murphy and Graham Gartland, part two. So welcome back, lads. How are you, Carl? Uh, I'll tell you something. To be mentioned in the same sentence as Twiggy and Baker has just kind of made my day. Thank you. Yeah, and if anyone hasn't listened to it already, I suggest they go back and listen to our first chat in July 2021. That's episode 163. If you want to hear the guys talk about their commentary together and the live production aspects. So this is kind of a follow-up. So we'll start with the Sligo game, uh, a mad old game. Gertz, how would you sum up that one? Uh, I actually thought, I was talking to Stephen today, actually, and it's probably, I know he keeps saying it, but it's probably the best he's played. Um, they should have been 2-0 up. I think Barry Cotter should have scored a header and Gaffney should have had a header. That he's, he it goes by the post, but... They were, um, especially Lions on the right-hand side, it was like he had an, an extra freedom about him because he was on that side. And um, it was a really entertaining game to watch. And then the first goal comes out of the blue in terms of Sligo. From Sligo's point of view, a really well-worked goal from them. It was actually full credit to Hamilton. I thought he was, once they got him on the ball and higher up the pitch, he, he sort of got them ticking a bit. Wonderful goal. The second goal... It's actually a really good goal as well because the boy Keane still has a lot to do, but it was just his directness. He just turns and runs straight for Pico. And um, it's one of them ones where he, he shoots through his legs and it's the one place that Alan can't get it. And it's something that, as a defender, you probably thought, well, if I'm going to give up a shot, I'll give up the shot at the front post and maybe block my legs and let him shoot front post because you're back your keeper. It's, it's a thing that maybe... In the heat of the moment, you just throw yourself in. But as you get more experience, you learn just to, you know what, if you're going to shoot, you can shoot from post because of the best keeper in the league behind me. So, um, But I thought the second half display was tremendous from Rovers. I really thought it was. I thought the hunger and desire they showed, the pressure they showed, the continuation of chances and and sort of basically making sure that uh, 
slide got cracked and they did um, and they were probably unlucky not to win it in the end so but it was a yeah it was a really enjoyable game really good game to commentate on actually they're the ones me and con really enjoy because you're invested in it right till the end it was it was brilliant it was a really good game and now you know why i love commentating with graham because uh a he will talk for ireland but also his analysis is, is, I mean, I think we mentioned it the last time we were on with you, Prof. His reading of the game, spotting things before they even happen, uh, is one of the, the great parts of doing commentaries with Graham. And, and it's what a co-commentator should be doing, really. I mean, I'm there to, to basically say, you know, A is on the ball, he passes to B, who gives it to C. But Graham, even in the UCD match, you know, the way they were defending the corners, he, he spotted stuff before it happened. And so for people who are watching in on, on LOI TV or wherever he might be working, they're getting an insight that a lot of co-commentators don't necessarily give you. You know, a lot of them will just kind of tell you, oh, you know, Joe Bloggs is disappointed with that shot. You know, he'd be disappointed he put it over the bar. But Graham, his, I, I mean, again, I don't want to give him a big head. His head is fairly big already, but um, his analysis is fantastic. Um, and um, there's a young fella called Dean. Uh, I can't think of his surname now, but he put up a video on YouTube of um, sort of a fan's eye view of the Sligo Rovers match. And it, it, I watched it back and it kind of reminded me how many chances there were in that game. I mean, it was a fantastic match because when you're doing comedy, you kind of sometimes almost forget about stuff that, that might have happened earlier on. But the number of chances and the atmosphere and everything, it was brilliant, you know, so... I have to say, this season so far, the home matches in, in Tala, I've really, really enjoyed them. And Gareth has given me a nice variety of uh, man-the-match winners so far, because last year uh, it was it was Scalesy <laughs> and Danny every week, so half the squad didn't know who I was. But uh, this time he gave me Andy Lyons, and uh, he really stood out in the night, didn't he? Yeah, I, 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 we said it from the start. Actually, it was it was sort of his his drive to get forward constantly and that willingness to run. And like we said, he's probably felt a little bit more freedom on that side that he didn't have to always check back. And you can see that he's thought, well, here's my chance to to cement a place as right wing back, and I'm going to take it. And he, I thought he done brilliantly for the penalty and um, just to pick it up. He picked it up in the halfway line. Poor header from McDonald at the time. And he's the one that tries to make up for it. He just hangs a lazy leg out, but he just brought that. The, the, the probably, from being extra ultra critical of him, I think when he gets near the goal, he probably needs to have that little bit more belief in himself that he is going to score. Because a couple of times he's he's tentative with his shooting and that he's leaning back thinking, I hope it goes up in the air. Instead of, you know what, I'm going to put my chest over and make sure I, I, I get it down and hit the target and something else might come of it. So that's me being probably a little bit uber critical there, but um, I thought he was excellent and he really drove the team forward. Even even when they were 2-0 down, it, like he was the one that was playing well and I called it from probably um, the half-time. Half I said to Khan, he's been excellent. I do I do think Jack Bourne was brilliant when he came on and he just upped the tempo of how quick the ball was moved across the pitch. And, and Rovers, when they play with a tempo... I always worry sometimes, and I say it to Khan, they're not moving the ball quick enough. And you can, and and, and what will happen is Stephen actually sees that, and then he's the one going move the ball quicker, and because he knows that once they limit their touches and 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 zip, put that extra little zip on the pass, and a lot of teams can't live with them. Like, mm. I wonder um, if you're Ronan Finn as well, looking at the 
performance of Andy Lyons playing at right wing back, are you kind of looking there and saying, Jesus, that could limit my game time because he was so good on the right hand side. You know, you'd almost want to keep him on the right now. And especially with um, Neil Farouja getting back to fitness and Sean Cavanagh not a million miles away from full fitness as well. Still have Barry Cotter. I know he made the mistake the other night, but you have a you have options on the left hand side to um, to come in. So I don't know if that will. Uh, I mean, Graham, you're a better. Sorry, Prof. I'm asking the question here now, and it's you're you're asking the questions. But um, if you're Ronan Finn and you're looking at the performance of Andy Lyons the other night, somewhere in the back of your mind, are you kind of thinking, oh, Jesus, my game time could be limited now? I, th- I think it was it was the same last season with with Ron, and I think they used him um, when they saw fit, and and I thought every time they did use him, he was excellent, and and there was times when he was the one that drove Rovers forward last year in some of the games. You've seen him in the President's Cup. He's the one that drove them even to get the equaliser where the runs he makes. Um, there's always a place for Ron, and, and and it could be where. Listen, Andy's never going to, he might play like that every game, but you know it's there now, so you know the potential is coming. And he's still only a young fella, so again, they can use Rona when they see fit, but it's a great headache to have, isn't it? Like, And and the type of pro Ronan is, and the type of pro even Andy is, they're going to they're gonna have a patience about him, but they're also going to keep themselves ready for when they are going to play. And that's, that's the... It's the benefit of having really good pros in your team, but I also know that you can't sort of um, be blasé about having them because they're the ones that you have to you have to really make sure you keep happy, not the ones that sometimes might make noise about not playing. The ones that actually don't make the noise are the ones that you might go, listen, you know we're going to need at some stage and we appreciate what you do. And Some people that might need love actually sometimes deserve it. And that's that's what what Stephen's done really well too, uh, uh, from a manager's point of view. Prof, can I just say one other thing about the Sligo match? And again, it's a credit to to Graham. But we use a, instead of using like a TV monitor to to look back at the pictures, we use a laptop for for our um, to, you know to look at the 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 game as it's going on, the replays and stuff, and the cable the power cable uh, Graham had left it behind the previous match and the cameraman took it with him and the regular cameraman Terry he, he actually couldn't make the uh, Sligo match so we didn't have a power cable and about 5 10 15 minutes into the game anyway the power went on the laptop so we had no pictures but Graham was able to talk over the replays that he couldn't see when the replays were happening, you know, we have a director in in the headphones or whatever. And when a goal goes in or whatever, you kind of know that they're going to put in a replay after the celebration. So you kind of wait your 10 seconds or whatever. But he was taught and he remembered every player who was involved in the move. And he was able to, you know, the way Hamilton jinked past here and got us crossing, like to talk over and do a co-commentary over replays that you can't see that everybody at home is able to see is it's an amazing skill. So again, you know, kudos to, to Graham for that. And, and we'll have the power cable for the next one anyway. That was the defense mechanism con against Paul <laughs> Doolan. <laughs> I said I it to you at the time, you're like, how did you, and I was like, I had to remember everything because Paul remembered everything and he was going to come at you. So you had to have your story straight on a Monday. <laughs> so you'd be like, what photographic memory. Paul, I'd be thinking, need to remember this like so you'd be thinking halfway through the game what actually happened there let's get my story straight before I go in at half time so it was uh, that was a habit developed of our defence mechanism against Paul but to be honest uh, 
I know, I, like, listen, I, I get a bit embarrassed when I actually get a compliment. I know I sometimes give myself them to stop people doing it, but um, I speak to Calm once a week about how we can make it better and what we can do and constantly, you know, is this is this better or... Like me, myself, and Khan have a thing where we know we're we're both gonna talk or we're both gonna say something, and it's it it's not even a look now. I just know by his tone when he's gonna finish. And I got a message the other day saying it, it, it's it's not a setup. It's never a setup, and and that's where it feels natural where we can talk. But Khan's been brilliant for me for for giving me advice because I like I said to you, I'd never done a co commentary up until the first game we done. And from then on, it's just been like, right, what? Like, I still look back and I look back in the commentary for the second goal. I've just gone, oh, goal. And I'm like, just like, there are the bits I, I still cringe and go, just leave it. Don't, don't comment on what you see sometimes. So um, I'm still learning how to do it. And there's days that I, I sometimes run out of my tone isn't the way it should be when it's finishing a sentence. And that's something I need to work on. But the more you do it, the better you get. And the more you do it with someone like Khan, like, you, you end up just picking up good habits all the time, but I still have to bring myself to the to the table, and, and that's the, the, that's why I speak sometimes the way I speak, or I might joke about the rain, I joke about um, something silly in the game, but that's just my personality. So in that sense, Khan's been brilliant, just saying, listen, just be yourself. And Khan, you have a little bit more to do this season with LOI TV. You have to do the pre-match and post-match interviews. But uh, it's Barry Buffet up next. And one man you uh, won't be speaking to this season is Oli Horgan because uh, word in the street is he's boycotting LOI TV because they won't give the managers a subscription. Uh, are, you, are you aware of this? I, I heard that all right. Um, and I can kind of see where he's coming from you know it's a it's a small thing but i mean for somebody any of the managers they'd want to watch the the matches in full they don't want to just see the the five minutes highlights or four minutes highlights in the highlight program so uh you know to see every match um without a season ticket is going to be very expensive i'm hoping that at some point fairly soon at this point now that they'll bring in some sort of three-quarter season season ticket for LOI TV or a half season ticket or something like that because the initial argument was that and it was the clubs who were were fighting this cause people mightn't buy a season ticket if they have the uh, a, an actual season ticket for the stadium if they did if they had a season ticket for LOI TV um but at this point now anybody who's going to buy a season ticket to be in the stadium would have that bought so that argument is kind of redundant. So I think at now, especially I'm thinking about people who are abroad and stuff as well. If they can just buy a, a, a three quarter season ticket for LOI TV or a half season ticket, problem solved. And I think the same if that would became available to the clubs, you know, if, if Ollie wants to spend his 50 or 60 quid to be able to see every single match, it's, you know, petty cash uh, for a club. Um, so that would get around that problem. Uh, and it's a pity because he's an interesting guy. I've, I've only interviewed him about uh, maybe twice or three times. And the first time I knew he didn't know who I was um, because he tends to say the person's name at some point when he knows who you are, like if he's talking to Tony, well, Tony, you know, I'm very pleased with the way, but I just knew that he didn't, he was, I could see behind his eyes. He's saying, who's this fucking idiot talking to me here? Um, and subsequent to that, 
I've kind of sort of got to know him a bit and and he's always a really interesting guy to talk to. I don't know if you've ever spoken to him yourself, but um, he's a fascinating character, a really nice, really nice guy as well. So I hope that situation can be sorted out because, you know, I mean, I'd always be interested to hear what he has to say. And Garrett's from one Oddie to another. I asked Oddie Cahill uh, last week what Garrett's was really like. So can you tell us what Oddie was really like? Do you know what? I tell you what, you fucking use pair of like Ron Burgundy because it's like you just read exactly what's on the teleprompter. The pair of you. <laughs> it, it was like I was trying like it was meant to be a question because I used to sit beside Ollie, and Ollie Ollie was the type of fella that I was I was very boisterous in the dressing room, uh, like and I loved it. I just loved being in the dress. I just loved being around the lads and in the dressing room. So I'd be quite boisterous and bubbly and always slagging or just being loud. Some t- some people liked it, other people didn't. But that that's who you are, like you know. And all he used to sit beside me and he'd say some outlandishly like Charlie stuff or big time stuff, you know. And he'd whisper to me, you know, he'd say it out, like, cause they, like, like a gobshite, you know? And I'd be like, and they'd all go, ah, oh, Garth's. And I'd be like, I'd be looking at him and he, the two of us would be laughing. But the, the reason I asked it was because Ollie said something to me when he first met me. Like, he says, I thought you were an arrogant bastard. And I went, what do you mean? Like, and he says, just, you just never engaged with anybody when you were playing. And I went, I didn't play with you though. And he's like, I, I just had this thing that I wasn't in the league when I first came into it to be friends with people. I just wanted to play. And um, so, and, and then even Pat Flynn, who, me and Flynn are, me and Flynn are really close now. We're, like, we work together with the team. And Flynn said the same. He says, I thought you were an I went, but I never really sought to be friends with people I was playing against. I just didn't see why I should be. But at the time, you have to remember, Ollie was with Shells for four years. Like the lads at Cork were at Cork for four or five years. You're, the only time you've seen them was when you played against them. So that's when I said, like, what's a. He used to think I was this arrogant bastard that just strolled around, always had a fucking tan for some reason. He said, <laughs> like, all this stuff. And I'm going, I can't help that. Like, but when he got to know me, he was like, Do you know what? Like, he just, I just sat and used the grand great room. I ended up sharing a bedroom one night after. I don't know how that happened. He ended up in the bed beside me. I was like, how would you get in here? Two of us were after being out after, I think we won the league with Trotter. And we ended up together. And I was like, how did that happen? And he just, he just wakes up beside me. But he's, he was such a good professional. But he was also really good off the pitch and that he'd have a laugh and we'd have a joke and... He'd, he'd be up singing and he'd always be in and around it. And But off the pitch, everybody thought he was so straight-laced, and he was. But he just had this giddiness about him that he'd used to say, like, he'd just come out with some stuff and I'd laugh and then I'd repeat and then I was the one that looked like I was big time. But such a wonderful player, like a really, really good player. Somebody I just enjoyed being in his team and enjoy being in his company. And I actually bumped into him walking into the game with his son, Sonny. And that's why I was a little bit late up with Khan because I ended up just talking to him for five minutes. But he was great. And we actually played near the, the end of 2007 season. We had a little bit of a disruption chasing the league. And uh, one of the lads made a comment that we needed to be a bit more bubbly because 
it didn't feel like we were top of the league. So Paul asked me, what did you do at Longford? Because we were a little bit wild. And I said, ah, we played rugby a couple of times. Now, we played rugby because we didn't have a place to train. And we ended up just, it was around the time of the Rugby World Cup. And one of the lads threw in a ball and we just went for it. So Paul says, right, we'll have a game of touch rugby. Like, you know, every Monday we'll start a game of touch rugby just to loosen up the thing. And it wasn't touch rugby, like, you know, it wasn't. And it was brilliant because we were all just playing into each other. And Dan Connor is throwing Brad's up in the air, like and Brad's is throwing it down and we're away. <laughs> and the last period, I'm, I flew into something and tackled him or jumping on the ground. And I'm trying to kick Eamon Zaid because I didn't particularly like him and trying to land on Fabio because he was another one I thought he needs to toughen up. Bang. And then... This fella just flies in behind me, like, yeah, get into them. And I look around, and it was the last person I expected, Ollie Cattle. Like, he's like, let's go. And I just, me and him just start laughing, like, you know, we were like, O'Driscoll and Darcy, we were for the day, like, you know. So he just had a way about him that everybody, when he spoke, people listened. But he also had a little mischievousness to him that not many people get to see. Like, so when that's when he's laughing with you saying, what's you really like? That's, it was because. I mean, I know him like that. Many people don't see that side of him. And when we last spoke on the podcast, uh, nearly nine months ago, we were still only doing trials. For, you for just cr- kept bringing up on me failures, Kat. That's what <laughs> it was just the one penal shootout. That was all. Penal shootout. You got yeah. sent off. This, that, all. You didn't play well at Rovers. You brought them all up. Like, oh my God. Anyway, we're. Floor. We were still doing trials for crowds. We only had 1,000 in at the time, <laughs> one and a half thousand. Obviously, since we've returned, uh, obviously we've returned to full capacity. And you guys have a great view from the gantry, uh, you know, of the limbs and the cell stand, the electric atmosphere, the ultras, displays. So what stuck out for you guys in terms of goals, moments and visuals from up there since last summer? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, well, the Bose game, especially. I mean, just that's one of the things when the Bose fans weren't allowed into um, Tala that time, I was kind of a bit disappointed because there's no doubt that the two sets of opposing fans kind of bounce off each other and, and create this energy. And, and like I, I've seen it where the Bose fans would start singing a song and that would suddenly get the Rovers fans in the South uh, stand like going full tilt. And so I think you need the away fans at the match. And we've seen it already this season, like um, Bose obviously brought a great crowd. Pat's brought a great crowd. And now Sligo the other night, that was, I I think I, did I say it on Twitter? I might've, that was probably the loudest away support for Sligo Rovers that I can remember in Tallis in all the years um, since Rovers got to Tallis. And again, it just contributed to a brilliant atmosphere. And the more I see these games and the more I see young kids going to them, like it's a million miles away from what I encountered when I was a 10-year-old kid, say, going to matches in Milltown. In terms of the atmosphere that's generated in the stadium in Tala, it's just way, way beyond. And and I think we can still work on things. I think. Um, the sometimes the music selection could could do with a bit of work pre-match in terms again I'm going back to the doing the matches in Portugal every week and and at some of the big clubs 
the atmosphere that they generate just by the music that they play beforehand in a particular order and a type of music, it 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 builds to a kind of a crescendo just before kickoff, um, which is incredible. And I think it's an area that that we still, I mean, we do a brilliant job in Tala, I think, uh, and it's a fantastic arena, but I think um, it can still be improved. And that's not a criticism of the people who are on music selection or PA at the moment. It's just something that I think could be even better than it already is. Um, but the atmosphere at the games has been mega. And, um, you know, long may that continue. I, I expect it to continue. I'm just looking at the next home matches we have coming up. You know, it's another game against Pats. Again, they're going to pack out the East Stand. Um, a game against Dundalk, which is on a Monday. And I don't know, will they bring a huge crowd down on a Monday? I'm not sure, but I think Dundalk matches generally tend to have a good atmosphere anyway. But even the UCD game, the first game of the season, I just I had hairs standing up in the back of my neck before kickoff of the um the lads in the South Stand were doing an amazing job. And now it's time for the East Stand and the West Stand to to get stuck into making plenty of noise as well. But I, I think it's been brilliant. Do you go along with that, Graham? Yeah. I, I know I can't say, and I, I do think it's been so much better with the with the away fans in for us even doing the commentary. It just because you end up talking over them a little bit because they're right underneath us, and then the, the excitement and us goes up. Um, regarding the title run in last year, I made the comment when we were doing it that these lads had these lads won the title behind closed doors, and when they were chasing the league last year, the likes of Pico who like was really enjoying it and I'm like it felt like the first time for them because the fans weren't there so they were when they were winning and chasing the league in in 2020 they were just walking off because it was an empty stadium patting the back to each other and walking off but this time they got to you know so I think the, the game that stands out to me was probably the Pats game that we were commentating on where uh, they went one nil down just before half time it was a deflected shot I think it was one all actually that the deflected shot just before one all, but Rovers have played really well in the game. And then the deflected shot goes in from a free kick. Alan was setting up the wall and and it, and he and it hits one of the lads in the back and goes across the goal. And then in the second half, Rovers just up the game, playing into the south stand, and I think Pico scores a header, and the place just erupted. But that was the bit that. That could have been a sucker punch just before half time, and it wasn't. And everybody got behind them, and that's when I thought Pats were actually level with them at at the game. There were no rowers at the game in hand, but it was real. It was a real statement I thought from from the team to say, "Listen, we're the headies, and we're gonna we're gonna turn the screw now over the next few months." Like you know, Con, I bet you're glad it's a bit warmer up there now. You finally be able to lose the old woody hat at the oh, Pats game in a month's time. Yeah, um, I've I've had the the long johns on the two jackets, the woolly hat, um, the the works. I'm not a a fan of um, cold weather or rainy weather at football matches. I'm I'm a heat merchant, so this is brilliant. I, I'm actually only a bit disappointed that there's no games this weekend because um, you know the weather forecast is brilliant. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, it makes a big difference. And like you, you remember, like for the European games in in the summer, it's always nice, and it's, it just it it makes it easier to, to. I mean, just from a technical broadcasting point of view, um, rain can be a pain in the arse because it can blow into the lens of the camera, which is just messy. And also, even little things like 
Graham will tell you, I'm a, I've all my notes written out on different little pads and stickers and stuff. And if it's a windy night, I mean, there have been occasions where some of my notes have ended up in the away section because they just blow away. The wind comes down off that mountain. Graham always talks about being from Tala and knowing all about the wind coming down off the Dublin mountains there. And, and you know, this, I think the South Stand, Stand has probably made a difference, yeah. Graham. Has it in terms of just blocking uh, yeah. that wind oh, a bit? Massively. Um, but my notes have gone flying a few times. So, yeah, no, I'm not a fan of it. And even going Ooh, over, yeah. because they're too bloody lazy to do those interviews now, Carl. Um, I have to go over and do the interviews before the match. And, you know, if it's piss and rain, I have to walk over, do the interviews, come back, get wet. I'm standing there in wet clothes, you know, doing the commentary, which is not great. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm definitely a fan of the summer soccer. And then they're in the wind. Remember for the UCD game? Oh, Jesus, yeah. The, big, <laughs> big, um, the squirrel's tail. Yeah. And it was like this big fluffy thing that stopped the wind. And I, I swear every five minutes I was like, and, and I could, I could, I was like just hitting the mic button off and going, and I'm like, Graham is scratching his like, face for the benefit. Yeah. Of <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, sorry. And I was just kept scratching my face and I'm like, this thing's a pain in that. And I was, oh, the, the, now if I, it was like a, a mini boom, you know, one of those boom mics that people stick in and you'd see it drop into camera every now and then. It was like one of those on the side of my face. And I was like, I'm not wearing one of them again. It's killing me here. Like, but it, it, it's obviously to stop the wind and the wind just hits you when you're up on the gantry. So yeah, the, the weather can, can play because it's such a good vantage point. It's brilliant, but the weather hits you like when it hits yeah. you. I, I think there. Graham, it's, it's probably, if you were to look at the entire stadium, it's the best place in the entire stadium to watch a match oh, in yeah. terms of like for you, like analyzing you're right on the halfway line. You're at a perfect height. It's just a great, great view. And yeah. um, so from that point of view, it's really, really good, but it does because it's on, on a bit of a height when it's windy, it can be a bit more windy. The wind kind of shoots down the side there. It can be a bit windier than, than even at ground level. And, and sometimes depending on the angle of the wind, you get the rain, blowing in on top of you as well which uh doesn't help but um look where else would you be you know no matter what the weather's like um but I, i'm just raging i didn't take a picture of that microphone for the ucd game because that, i don't know if you remember prof but the the ucd match i think it was probably one of the windiest nights ever in in tala for a game it was unbelievable yeah, it was, and yeah. you couldn't hear when when graham started you, you couldn't hear anything he was saying because the wind was just so strong and his um it's kind of quite a flimsy little microphone. And so they they put a, like, a, you know, when you're doing an interview and you have that protector thing on the microphone, they put one of them on first. And even that wasn't good enough. You could still, the wind was still howling in his mic. So they got this thing. What did you call it? A, a squirrel's tail or something? Yeah, it's that, that's what it looked like. Um, but uh, yeah, he never stopped giving out about the fact that it was giving him a rash on his face. So um, <laughs> we haven't used it since. But fortunately, we haven't had to actually. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's uh, one of those things. Yeah, no home game for a month now, which is uh, crazy to uh, fix your schedule. But I wanted to ask is, is that both of you have watched probably countless hours of football over the years. So who, if you were to pair a commentator with say a next player like who would be your favorite commentator commentator pundit pairing it can be past or present so I'll start with con oh god i wish you'd warned me about that um <laughs> i'd i'd go for a couple if i if i can um for me 
George Hamilton has always been the the die-in of the commentators. And for me, he's still, you know, just he's liquid velvet. I love his voice. Um, so I'm a huge, huge fan of George. And if you think of the big moments in Irish football over the last 30 years, nearly always it's been George. Jimmy McGee did a few. We always seem to get knocked out when Jimmy McGee did games. He did the Italian match in Italian 90 where we got knocked out. And I think he did the... Uh, Dutch match in the uh, World Cup in America that we got knocked out in as well. Um, so George uh, in Ireland and in England. Um, as a kid growing up, I used to like Barry Davis. Um, He'd be my favourite now. I thought he yeah, was, I thought I thought Barry Davis really really good. And again, yeah, great voice. Hmm. ITV was that the Sunday game on ITV? Brian Moore used to do. Yeah. One. Big match. Uh, Brian Moore was very good. Yeah. Um, and for a co commentator, if I can't choose Graham, uh, <laughs> and I can't choose Conan. Um, although I think Conan will be a very good co commentator as well because, again, his analysis of the games is, is brilliant. Um, of the co commentators, oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I've always enjoyed Jim, Jim Beglin. Um, in the English ones uh, of the co-commentators that they use. Now, Jesus, I, I, do you know who I love, actually, as a co-commentator? And I hated him when he was playing, and I disliked him intensely. But actually, I've completely changed my mind. I really like him now as a person. Um, and I think he's a really good uh, co-commentator, although he hasn't got a great voice. Gary Neville. I yeah. think his reading of the game is really, really good when he's on co-commentary. Um, so he'd be up there for me as well. But there's there's loads of fellas out there who I think are really good, you know. Give us your ideal pairing there, Gertz. I'd go with that. That ITV game just brings back memories of sitting on a Sunday with my dad watching football and that voice. And it was, I think it was Brian Moore and Trevor Brooklyn. Oh, and, yeah. I just, and I just had that, that memory of, of Trevor Brooking just being so... Um, more would be getting so excited and Trevor would just come in with something really flat and it was like it just stuck with me for and then they were the ones like and then obviously and Andy Gray became such a big commentator with his big moments but he just to me I just think he's a character he's become a caricature of himself now with that 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 chasing them um and that's where I think Sky have got done so well and getting and getting Neville in and, and changing the narrative of how they speak about footballers and football in general. So from from a kid growing up, it was just the Sunday game on ITV would have been Brian Moore and and, and Trevor Brooking, and they were the ones I would have listened to. Um, obviously before then Sky kicks in, but um, I do agree with Khan. I think what what. Uh, and I listened to Neville a lot about how he changed when he first came in and how he was full of maybe self-doubt about how he was as a commentator. And he just realized that I had to speak the way I'd speak to my friends talking about football and how I'd speak in the dressing room talking about football. And that's something that stuck with me as a co-com that I have to say things that when I'm saying like he's, he, he's just, he smacked the ball out or he's done something or he needs to come across and get his body across him. And once he plants, then 
he's able to move. And, and, and that's the way I'd speak when I'm coaching and that's the way I'd speak when I'm describing something. So I have to bring that. Sometimes I feel I over-explain it, but, you know, as I just done there, but um, mm-hmm. that, that's where I would be. With, I think Neville has brought that in where I take a lot from what how he describes the action. Like, Mm. And in fairness to Andy Gray, the one thing that he did, he actually changed co-commentary um, because there had never been anybody like him before that. As you mentioned, Graham, you know, Trevor Brooking had a very flat. I like Trevor Brooking as well, but he, he, he Andy Gray brought a kind of energy to co-commentary yeah. that you never had before. You know, that kind of, you know, what, you know, when he got really excited after a goal was yeah. scored or whatever. Um, and there are other fellas now who kind of, are very similar to the way Andy Gray was when he started. So he he did change it a bit, and um, he was the kind of the first of those yeah. ones. Until the banter, anyway. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> uh, so, Gareth, you're you're under 14s lads. Have had a few friendlies in recent weeks. These uh, are doing well, but the season doesn't actually begin until June. And uh, yeah. it's well documented how the club felt about the changes to the 14th League of Ireland season. And Gareth, you're obviously quite unhappy with this structure as well. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's for the benefit of the kids. It's not. It's not that I'm unhappy as a as a person in terms of like how it affects me as a coach. I just think it it affects the children because or the players because they're the ones that had all this ready to go. They were all mentally prepared to leave and go in their head. They felt. We're going into play in the National League. Whatever people's opinion on the National League, whether it's a step up or step down, whatever you want to feel about it, it's no problem. But you can't just make a decision the night before this is going to happen and then expect the kids to then be okay with it. Like, this is a group of kids, this is an age group that's been decimated because of COVID. Um, they haven't had a chance to play ga- uh, proper games, they haven't had a chance to travel and play games. They haven't been really tested in terms of the 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 really top the top teams really going at each other constantly and um, to see where they're at. Um, it's it's an age group that just before the Ireland stuff kicks in, so you want to see where they where they all are. You want to see what the best striker in the league is like against the best centre back. Um, constantly from all over the country, like we played Cork a couple of weeks ago. Really, really good game. It was five four. It was brilliant. Really, really good game. And 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 it's the best of Cork. It's like it was every all the the best players in Cork minus a few going up against us at Rovers. Who we we have we have a, a good few players ourselves. So really good game. But you want more of that for the players. You want the players to be tested all the time. That they know every time they're going out to play a match. There's a level of performance that's expected from them, and that can only be a good thing for players because it, it, it's to me. I, to me, I think that's a good pressure to have. Is that do you know what I'm able to perform when I need to perform, and that's something that stays with them, not just as players. It's something that stays with you as a person. Like we speak about going into commentary or me going into doing certain things. I know when that red button goals that I have to perform and, and, I, and I've got I've got that skill or life skill from now on I had to perform every Friday like you know and that's something that I think we probably overestimate um, or underestimate for these kids that 
But I just think the way it was done, I, I just thought it was very underhand. I, I, there was no dialogue. There was no, everything just got pulled. And it was real, right? Just got on with it. And I don't think that's the way, because now, now there's an untrust between both parties that you, you just haven't got a say in how this is done and you just won't even communicate with us. And that's, that's the bit that I'm like, you know, I don't really have much time for them anymore because the way they do their business isn't, isn't right. I was listening back to our, our interview last time and there was a question that got left on the table because we ran out of time. We're, we're cheapskates here at Tipties. We have the 40-minute time limit on Zoom. But Con was asking the question. Uh, he wanted to know about habits that the older players might have that you want the kids to avoid nowadays. So are there certain things that you would say to your team, don't make the same mistake I did? I wouldn't necessarily the same mistakes I did. Um, it, it's more you, you are what you continually do. Um, so it, it's like excellence is a is a habit, but like what's excellence? So it, it's like, do you know what? If you come up and give maximum effort and and and, and yeah, I, I use a term like you, you empty every game. You, you go to the well every game and see where it takes you. You, you then don't have them regrets when you're older. Think, you know what? I could have done more. But it, so maximum effort, being willing to um, work hard for your team, be willing to be on time, um, be a good teammate. All them things that I feel they need to have before they go into the first team. So I had a really good chat with Stephen today about we need to we need to do more as an academy to get these kids ready for them to play. So are they on time to train? Are they ready to train? Have they eaten properly? Have they rested properly? Have they prepared? Are they prepared to train at a level that the first team are training at? They're trying to break into the best team in the country here. So they have to have all them things that are in their control looked after because they're going on into a multi um, sort of, the word I'm looking for multi-dimensional environment where everything changes that the game changes so quick the ball moves it's ever evolving but if they look after the things that they can look after the, the bits that they can't control on the pitch they can actually understand and that's the bit they're the habits that you want them to have going in is that i'm ready to do whatever you ask me to do and i'm open to that information and i have a growth mindset so that i'm not so I introduced a thing called growth mindset where the kids have to be willing to accept um, criticism, be willing to overcome obstacles. So they build resilience. Everything's a challenge to be better. It's not. A, so if it is a constructive criticism, it's right. Well, that's for my benefit. And now I'm going to get better. They're not put off by other people's success. They're happy for other people's success because they think I want that as well. And I know I'm going to work for it. So in terms of all the technical stuff, yeah, for defenders, they need to be able to head the ball. They need to be able to know how to defend and stop players turning, how to defend them only one situations, what, what way they're showing them, et cetera, et cetera. But the, that's, the, that's probably the, the hardware, but the, the software, the stuff that gets them to that point is their attitude. And that's the bit that I feel we need to put we need to make sure they have all that before they ever get near a first team so that that's not letting them down. That's, that's a good way of answering it. You know, one thing I'd like to 
know about as well with kids say in the in the 14s category um, if I were to transfer it to something that I, I play a bit of poker, as you know, online and stuff, and, and it's you're constantly learning. I'm looking at videos all the time of, you know, the top players in the world and looking at what they're doing and and learning all the time. And I wonder, is there an element of, um, you know, should these kids be looking at videos of uh, whether it's, you know, Ronaldo or, you know, great players down through the years, Zinedine Zidane or or, you know, old videos, even of Pele and players of that vintage. Um, you know, can they learn by watching things that players have done in the past? You know, whether it's, uh, you know, the great Dutch team in the 70s and 80s or, you know, Real Madrid in the, the 90s or whatever. You know, would you ever encourage them to, to look back? They're all available now, more or less, on, on YouTube. Yeah, I think sometimes you, you, you'll throw out something like, you know, did you see this player? And some of them might know them and some of them don't. The, the, the biggest thing for me, and again, we've a great barometer just ahead of us. Like, so for example, my 14s, how can I put a plan in place for some of my 14s who would be, you know, who you think right there, they could play in that first team early. How do I put a plan in place? So for example, I have a left, I have a left sided wing back that I think is, is going to be, ridiculously good like but uh, and, I'm, and I'm trying not to put too much pressure on him but I have a great barometer in front of him which is Neil Ferrugia so I need to actually go and say to the fitness guy what does Neil run 100 metres in what does Neil run 80 metres in what does Neil run 50 metres in what's how did Neil get what's his stamina on a bleed test what's his so I'm giving this player a target to get to physically so if he can get to that physically he's able to do what Neil can do physically now I need to work on the technical side of them or the tactical side of them. So you're looking at the, you have the mental, the mental, the physical, the technical, the tactical. And, and a lot of them might fall down on the mental side. And that's the bit that I think they need probably the most on. Because when I tell you this game is ruthless and it's tough and it'll chew you up and spit you out, it, it's, the most, it's one of the most cutthroat sports you'll ever play. So what do you need most? You need resilience. Like, so if you you need to be able to get back up after setback and sometimes you need to be able to pick yourself up and other times you need to pick up the person beside you but again if we can get like let them struggle sometimes and i do and that's where i speak to parents and go it's okay for them to struggle because they're building resilience so let them get through this because now you're giving them something that when a further struggle comes in or 17 or 18 they have memories to fall back on that gets them through that and that's the bit that i think there's a little bit of we're trying to make the path too easy for them and too smooth and i think if we leave it tough or we leave or it should be tough to play on an elite level but that's the bit that i'm trying to get to but you're right con like but we have a great barometer right in front of us like you've the best team in the league so i was sent back then who do you think i'm gonna model them on pico what do you eat like Come in and tell the kids what you eat. Give us your diet plan. Now, there's your diet plan. Like, what does Pico lift? What does he, you know, and, and then we can put that plan in place for these certain players. And then if we're hitting all them buttons and they're hitting all them uh, KPIs, then you can, Stephen, go, right, he's ready. But we have to bring them to Stephen. It can't be that Stephen comes and goes, 
I'll play the kids just because I get people on side. They're trying to break into the best team in the country. So we need, us as coaches and us as the academy, need to do more to get them ready. But maybe having them plans in place and having a hyper care system might do that, like, you know. So, sorry, I, I, I end up getting into this because it, it just, that's probably my biggest, that's why I got into coaching was, it's why it's why I coach in Tala. I don't coach outside of Tala because it's my area and this is what I want. And I want people to have hope or something to do that they can. I can play at that level. I can play in a packed stadium in Tala. I never got a chance to do that until 2012, like, you know. But I, I played football from the age of eight. First time I played in Tala was 2012, like, it's amazing, you know. No, it's fascinating, so I'm, I'm, I love the detail you go into, but um, I'm going to give the last word to Con because on this episode of the podcast, we also are paying tribute to the legendary Rovers fan, George Byrne. So, Con, you would have met him uh, quite a few times. What's your personal memories of George who passed away around this time seven years ago? Yeah, geez, it's hard to believe that it's uh, seven years ago. Wow. Um, yeah, George was a, he was a great guy and uh, he wasn't uh, like, see, I used to go to the matches with my dad down through the years and we'd drive up to Sligo or drive down to Cork or drive to Galway or drive to Ballybuffet or wherever it might be. And and a lot of the, the lads would either go on the bus or on the train and and so our interaction with them wasn't um, like we weren't drinking pints the way so many of the lads would know George um, down through the years. So we weren't buzzing buddies or anything like that. But he had two things in common with me. He loved Rovers. He loved the League of Ireland and he loved music. And I actually saw him more often at gigs almost than I did at uh, Rovers matches. Um and there was there was one train journey we were on. Uh, I think we were coming back from Cork and Rovers had obviously won down in Cork and there, there was great crack. And I was with my dad on the, the train and George came over and sat beside. He always called my dad Mr. Murphy. You know, he would never called him Brian. Oh, Mr. Murphy, that was brilliant, brilliant wasn't it? You know? and, and, you know, he'd have had a good skinful all day and uh, we'd be on our cup of tea and chicken sandwich and stuff but he, dad loved talking to George um, and I think George was he's a, he was a very uh, bright guy very intelligent fella actually and so we we had great you know I really enjoyed I, I'll never forget that journey because he, he just he made a point of coming over you know when there's kind of singing and there's a raucous atmosphere and we were a little bit kind of quiet in the corner, me and the dad, you know, and, but George came over and he sat with us and chatted with us for ages. And it was just a kind of a, a measure of the man. And then I think the last time I ever saw him actually was at a, an OMD gig in the Academy or somewhere like that. And um, Tony O'Donoghue was there and Tony actually would have known George a lot more than than I did because Tony would have had links in the music business down through the years and stuff. And uh, George came over and we had a drink in the Academy and had a great old chat and it was all about football and music and they were I know he was a great man for the the quizzes as well um and if I was ever on uh, who wants to be a millionaire he would have been one of my phone of friends there's no doubt about it um but I just I can't believe when you said seven years there I just I can't believe it um it just that that's mad um that's flown by and yeah yeah miss him miss him badly you know he was a great Great Rovers, great hoop. 
We'll definitely be doing one of these tributes to your dad as well, Con, for everything he contributed to the club, especially with Cram. And uh, who knows, we might come back for a, a Con and Gertz part three someday. And Gertz, don't worry, I'll only ask about happy memories this time. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's be the fourth Actually, memory. do you know what? I've one happy, well, just before we go, uh, Prof, I've one happy memory of uh, Gertz, and it came back to the game against Sligo because uh, Rovers are 2-0 down, get a penalty. Graham Gartland scores the penalty. And in my commentary, I, I, I was saying to Graham, Graham afterwards, Burke. it was a uh, Graham Burke. Jesus, there I go now. Uh, what do I call him? Graham Gartland. He's bringing up penos again. Oh, it wasn't sorry, this time. sorry. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I had one of my worst moments ever on a commentary. In fact, probably the worst moment ever when uh, Graham Burke scored. And I, I said, and there's the equaliser. And it was 2-1. And, and the face of Garth beside me, I knew as soon as I said it, like within a millisecond, I just needed to look at his face. And I knew I'd said something really stupid. Um, so I corrected myself straight away. But if he if he hadn't given me that look, I would never have even noticed that I made that mistake. So again, that's just uh, one of those sort of things that uh, I'd be grateful to Graham for saving my um saving my blushes there but uh yeah so anyway listen onwards and upwards and um hopefully the the rest of the season will will continue on certainly at home like i mean rovers three wins and a draw from the four games at home so far in the league can't complain yeah we'll leave it there so like i say maybe a part three but uh love the chat lads uh thanks very much thanks carl and thanks for all your little um snippets of sort of uh, stats that we throw in every now and then, you know? Yeah, we do try and give you credit when, when we can yeah. because uh, they're, they're, I, I, actually, you didn't have any ahead of the um, Sligo match, did you? I don't always have them now. Sometimes they just present themselves. Other times I don't have any, so it's still how it goes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you can't, you can't use the nil all one anymore now for the next. What's that? We can't use these clean sheets that like they haven't, both teams have gone X amount of games without clean or without a nil all or a clean sheet yeah. or something. And oh, we the used balls that one, yeah. Ball. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. God that wasn't nil nil. I would have been in serious trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, uh, just one last thing before we go. Congratulations on the the podcast because I know yeah. I said it to you the other day. Though the one you did with the um, the um, fans on Women's Day, um, yeah. all the 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 women who follow Rovers, and that's a real feature these days. Now look around the ground. So many more. Again, I'm going back to my Milltown days where it was all old fellas and 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 kids like me, and very very few women. the The amount of young girls coming to the matches now, the amount of women coming to the matches is fabulous to see in uh, Tala. And you know the stuff that they said to you in that that uh, in their interviews or in their the hotlines. It's stuff that the FAI should actually be listening to, you know, because they are the voices and it was important what they had to say. And it was also really interesting. And it was a, a unique angle that, you know, this podcast um, quite often comes up with. So you're doing a, a, a great job on the pod and, and uh, keep it up. We've done a thing, Carl. I used to, when I used to go into the schools and like the schools were all in Tala and I'd asked them the question and it was, it was like, where's the closest stadium? He'd say Crow Park or he'd say the Aviva. And I used to say, there's a stadium down the road. Like, So one of the things we done was that I'd do an eight-week block, but on the eighth week, they present to me the history of Rovers. 
So they do it. Every class would put up, like, this is a post that i done. This is Gary Twig. He scored the first goal in Tala. And you get, by the end of it, I'd give them all a ticket and you'd all go to the games and then you'd see, I'd walk in and you'd see them. And it was just about putting that out in the community to say, like, you can do something, you can associate being successful, being from Tala, because you have the best team in Ireland and now the best, you have the best stadium in Ireland and now you have the best team in Ireland. So you can never, you don't have to feel inferior just because you're from this area. And that was the biggest thing. That was what I grew up with was that don't tell people you're from Jobstown. Like, and I was like, I will. I'll tell them all the time. So, and that that was that chip on my shoulder that I carried, but that's where I'm, I'm, we're trying to change that. When I, like Con said, when you see all the, the, the young girls and the young boys going to games, that's the bit that I go, we're only passing through and they're the future of it. And they're only passing through as well. But that's why the club is so important to, to the community and like Con said the likes of your show with the women was I, I really enjoyed it thought it was very yeah. very good and very um, very clever thing to do so well done yeah and can I just say one last thing before and you can edit this out <laughs> this is the I'm, problem I'm when I'm you bring on, on, on you know, we, yeah Jesus we could be on here all night <laughs> this is the fifth um, last thing yeah <laughs> this is the very very last thing um, when Graham was talking earlier on there about um, Ollie Cahill bringing his son Sonny to the match yeah. it made me think that, that when I was going to Milltown I used to sit behind a man called Sonny Malloy, who was a bucky. I'd see him up in Leopardstown from time to time. But Sonny played in the Shamrock Rovers team in the late 20s and early 30s. And he, here he was still going to matches in the 70s and 80s in, in uh, Milltown in those days. So when I heard the name Sonny, it immediately brought Sonny Malloy back to me. And, and again, like there's a, a link between, you know, Shamrock Rovers of the, the tw- 1920s and Shamrock Rovers of the 2020s. And it's only, you know, a couple of generations. And, and you know, the, the story will go on, hopefully, for, you know, centuries more. But it's uh, it's great that we're all part of it. That's it. So thanks for the kind words, guys. And right back at you. Uh, I love you two together. It's magic. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. So, Prof, that was Connor Gertz. And um, <laughs> this, this is probably the best show of the year. Like the content that they're getting is ridiculous. Like just listen back to that what they were talking about. I love it. Uh, I'm loving Garth's little speech. I think we should put some some slow music. It's like the any given Sunday speech talking about <laughs> resilience with your kids and letting them struggle. I think it's brilliant. Um, yeah. we're gonna have to get. I hope Con when his notes were blown all away. I hope he was chasing after him in his fifties hat. So we're gonna have to get. <laughs> we're gonna have to get Garth some merch as well. Well, I told you about his notes, didn't I? Garth as well. The two of them have. Like amazing color coded sticky notes and and uh, and notepads and just it's just incredible what when they when they invited me up to the gantry one time it was brilliant, but um yeah thanks to the lads for the nice words they said about the podcast and about the stats you know the credit the credit is nice not something I really I don't really want shout outs ah, as well as it's, 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 it's ridiculous it's nice when it happens um firstly I've nothing for them this week because. That defeat to Harps last year ruined everything I had because that, that was their first defeat. You had a again. few potentials. You had a few potentials. Well, that that was their first defeat against them since 2008. You know, so all those streaks are gone now. Um, I asked them who was their favourite commentators. Um, and as I said, Barry Davis was mine. I asked them who would they pair with, like an ex-player. So I think I would say Barry Davis and Jim Beglin, or maybe Brian Kerr. Mm. They'd be my favourites. Possibly Ray Hudson for the crack. Are you aware of him? No, I never heard of him. 
he does the US coverage, I think mostly for La Liga. Like if you YouTube Ray Hudson Ray Hudson Messi, he's going crazy for Messi goals. So that'd be kind of a mad pairing. So what commentators do you like? Uh I'd go with well, any South American that can shout goal, 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 for more than 30 seconds. <laughs> Fantastic! Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like, uh, I like Brian Kerr. I always did. I always liked Brian Kerr. I think it's just yeah. the Dublin wit. Is, it just resonates with us. But other than that, I can't really take prof. Yeah, George Hamilton obviously a big influence for, for Khan. And uh, I, I'm not too fond of I suppose if you're a kid it's great but the it's there thing I just feel like every iconic Irish football moment <laughs> you just hear George Hamilton say it's there and it doesn't matter what kind of goal it is it's like penalty shootout winner against Romania it's there it's his thing isn't it scissors kick it's there <laughs> out and lob it's there can you just say something appropriate to the goal you've seen that's all my but he is a, he is a great commentator I like George Um, what else have we got We've Mick Conroy on Garth's prof. Uh, he has an innate intelligence, thinks about what he does and honest with himself. I would say this is a major reason people open up to him. He makes it easier and he listens. And even that, like I'd have a little chat with him every so often. And just like one of those people that listens and comments on what you're actually saying. So it's a genuine conversation. You know, sometimes you might talk to someone and they're just waiting for you to finish talking. Yeah. So they can get their point across. And they don't comment on what you're saying whatsoever. They just want to get their point across. Whereas he'll pick apart some things that you're saying. He'll chat. It's it's just a really good conversation. So we're very lucky to have him, I have to say. Yeah, he's just... He's fantastic to listen to. I mean, the speech you're talking about there, about the 14s. Listen, I like the way he analyses himself and the way he approaches commentary. He's approaching it like he did with as a footballer. Mm. As improving himself. I'd say 90% of footballers who went into commentary didn't really think about it too much. Didn't even listen back to themselves. No, it's because it's so natural to him. I'd say, I'd say he he just gets in. He's not conscious of himself. He's doing what he loves. It's coming naturally out of his soul. So he's just getting in there and getting stuck in. But then you've Khan. Like, I'm actually, believe it or not, no, Khan is actually brilliant. Let's be honest. He's probably one of my favourite commentators because you ever, did you ever hear him on like the Portuguese He's, doing, like he's, he's so knowledgeable he's doing all sorts like we were trying to arrange this and he's like oh sorry Carl I have to commentate on a Mexican league game there now yeah like it's just like he's <laughs> like he's getting he, he's a football fan first and that's what makes it so much easier to listen to because he has all the little stats little things about players here and there it's just uh, yeah, brilliant but we look very lucky to have the two of them when you think about it you're saying Graham's not conscious he's not he's not already self-conscious but he's analytical of himself yeah like he'll be his own biggest critic just to improve himself. But I'd, I'd say he doesn't think too much about actually going in and doing it. I'd say beforehand, he'd be just like, right, well, this is me. This is what I do. This is football. This is what I know about. I'm going to go in here and I'm going to get stuck in and talk about it and let it flow. Like, it's not preconceived. It's all mm. off, not off the top of your head, but it's just in him. He knows how to talk about football. Me and Colin have a little competition going every home game. Who can ask the better questions? Because oh. he does the LOI TV, I do the SRC TV. Uh, I won't. I won't tell him what Gary O'Neill told me. I won't, I won't hurt his feelings, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, prof, we have a uh, we've quizzes this week. Now, this is going to be rapid fire. So, the one we forgot to do last week, right? So, yeah, this is Tuesday trivia from last week. We've got two this week. So, here's number one. This is going to be interesting, prof. Now, bear in mind that I did run out of time last week, <laughs> and it was because yeah. I forgot we actually had. You won't forget this time, though. I won't forget this time. So, I'm going to read them out quick for you. 
and let's see how we get on. I actually love these. They're great crack. What's your prediction, Prof? Come on, quiz number one. What's your Cla prediction? Classic four for you, I think. Classic four, right? Okay, here we go. Okay, so we were trying to do the last week's quiz there on Twitter, but I think it's been replaced by the new one, so we can't do it uh, via Twitter. So I'm going to read out the questions for the first one. This is last week's one. So we can pretend. You can imagine the timer of three minutes, Gary. Here we go. So question one. Graham Burke scored his 53rd goal for Rovers last week. Compared to Ronan Finn's goal tally, does he have more, less, or equal? Finner has 52 goals for Rovers. So less. They are equal. Oh. Question two. Jack Byrne made his senior Ireland uh, debut against which nation oh, in September 2019? Was it Bulgaria, New Zealand, Wales or Finland? Bulgaria. Yeah, I remember you played well. I think he had yeah. an assist, was it? The assist before the assist, assist, before the assist. Stevens. Question three. Who was the Ireland manager to call up Jack? Sorry, who was the first Ireland manager to call up Jack to a senior squad? Was it Trapattoni, Martin O'Neill, Mick McCarthy, or Stephen Kenny? Martin O'Neill. It was Martin O'Neill. Oh, I knew it. Trick question from the prof. That was back in 2016, I think. Um, question four. Stephen Kenny's, you'll know this one. Stephen Kenny's first competitive game in charge of Rovers in 2012 was at which ground? Garta Keegan, Tada, United Park, Turner's Cross. 2012. First game oh of the season. I'll give you a hint. Yes. Who played well at right back that, that day? Oh, Drada, we were in the stand. Drada <laughs> away, Craig Gilbert. I'll give you an L. Oh, I should have right. known that. I have vivid yeah. memories of that. Uh, question five. Gary Twig scored his second ever Robbers goal against oh, which club? Fucking, you're hitting me with my own one now. Yeah, this was actually Gary's idea. So this was three weeks after the opening night of Tata Stadium. So we'd break away nil all. We'd 2-1 at home to Sligo and then... Yeah. Then we lost 2-0 away to Bowes. So, when did the second goal come? Was it Pats, Drogheda, Cork, or Galway? I'm going to say Drogheda away. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah! I'm doing too bad here. I'm going to think a lob or a tap in somewhere. He, he loved fucking Hunky Dory Park. <laughs> Question six. Stephen Bradley's first league game in charge of the club was against who in 2016? But you're, you're up a league game, wasn't it? First league game. Oh, league game. Go on. Cork, Bray, Sligo, Bowes. I'm going to say balls. Yep. <laughs> Question seven. Which player came off the bench to score the third goal in that Dublin derby? Oh, Was it Sean Boyd, Dean Clark, Gary Shaw or Trevor Clark? Sean Boyd, Shawzy assist. That's right. I'm on six, bro. I'm running them out here. You didn't exceed my expectations. Which of these players has not started Every competitive game in 2022. Jesus. Sean Hoare, Lee Grace, Gary O'Neill, Pico Lopez. Gary O'Neill. Oh, you rushed into that one, Gary. Did he not Me drop him last week? Remember, Pico didn't play at the start of the season. Oh! President's Cup, he missed. Beans blown. Yep. Question nine. How many Premier Division... I wonder if we've gone over three minutes. I said we have. You're fucking right. <laughs> How many Premier Division games has Hoops Keeper Leon Poles played? Three. Yeah, I wouldn't even give you the options there. Number 10. 7. I, I doubt you'll get this. This could be my record if I get this. You won't get this. <laughs> <laughs> what were the names of Louis Kilcoyne's brothers oh, for fuck's sake. responsible for selling Glenmullar Park? Paddy and was it Barry, Barrett, Barron or Barton? Barton. Yep. It was a stupid name. I remember it, yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking, 
they must have been wankers <laughs> purely because of that so that's eight ah oh, yes that's your, that's your best ever is it? straight into the rapid fire Tuesday trivia for this week as well now prof you ready yep three minutes didn't have three minutes there three minutes for this one right strictly time limit on this one strict time limit on this one so we're getting it up oh. it's funnier when you read them and you're stressed as well so I'm looking forward, <laughs> I'm looking forward to this right, okay here we go which club finished bottom of the table just below Rovers in 2005 the season in which the Hoops were relegated in the playoff uh, UCD Finn Harps Dublin City Waterford Dublin City come on no Finn Harps no, Dublin played Dublin in the <sighs> playoff fuck which players were on the score sheet in Rovers 2-0 win at Bally Buffet in April 2021 Robbie Gaffney Rory Gaffney Sean Hoare Dylan Watts Joey O'Brien Dylan Watts Sean Hoare Rory Gaffney Joey O'Brien uh, <laughs> up there uh, we were there Dylan Watts and Joey O'Brien no Rory Gaffney and Sean Hoare <laughs> how many penalties were Rovers awarded in the second half of their 2020 FAI Cup quarter final comeback win at Finn Harps this was a mental game I think it was three. Four, three, two, one. I think it was we scored two and we missed one. And we got a rebound. I'm going to go three. Yes. There we go. Who's the club player of the year in 2016? Brando, Barry Murphy, Gary McCabe, Simon Madden. Uh, Brandon Miele, we haven't had him on the show yet. No, Simon Madden. <laughs> Name the last woman to sit on the Rovers board of directors. We only talked about this. Uh, read, read the options. Uh, Anne Foy, Martina Ganocchi, Lewis McNamara, Keith Mellon. Martina Ganocchi. Yes. George Bourne, the legendary Rovers fan, was a journalist for which newspaper until he sadly passed away in April 2015? Oh my God, I don't know this. <laughs> oh, I'm going to never live this down. I'm not going to write. Evening Herald, Daily Mirror, Daily Mail, or Times. I'm going to say the Times. Oh, the Evening Herald. Michael O'Neill's first two signings ahead of the 2009 season were Stephen Bradley and who? Sean Webb, Shane Robinson, Ollie Cahill, Gary Twig. Robbo. Had to be Robbo. No, Ollie Cahill. He was on the show. We said it on the oh. show. No. <laughs> I'm two out here. Rovers played a number of friendlies at the RDS 1990s against teams like City, Forest, Everton, Celtic, St. Johnson, and which Dutch side? AZ Alkmaar, FC20, FC Utrecht, FC Cambor, oh, Alkmaar. No, Utrecht. Oh, I'm doing terrible here. And for which of those clubs did Jack Bourne once enjoy a loan spell with? It was Cambor. Right, I have that. Roy Keane played in one of those RDS friendlies against Rovers for which club? City. Cove, Forest, Celtic. It was Forest because we had Joe's talking about it. He was going mad. Yep, you remember that one? Four, four. There you go. There's, there you go. Solid four. I meant four for this one. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what I meant. Uh, yeah. So you Jules, did pretty well in the first one, though. Yeah, that's because I had time. Yeah, there was no stress involved with that one. So that's that one, and um, yeah, the quiz, prof. Make sure you take it. It's that's really... definitely a regular feature on this, on this show. <laughs> you, you just freaking out. <laughs> Looking at the timer. Yeah, so the European draw, Prof, June 14th, and we are buzzing for this one. We cannot wait. So Dan Fuller made an Excel sheet tracking leagues. We're waiting on for certain teams to finish first. So we are seated. So he says it's going to be close as it was in 2011 by the looks of it. Rovers need 207 leagues to go our way in order to be seated. We need the Champions League winner to be automatically qualifying for the Champions League via their league. And we need 307 to be seated. This, I don't even look at that Excel sheet. Because I'm looking at it, I'm just like, <laughs> wow. How have they got the head for this? Yeah, no, just to clarify what you said there. We need two out of seven to go away. Um, unless the Champions League winner uh, doesn't automatically qualify, then we need three. But chances are the Champions League winner is going to be in Champions League again automatically. Mm. So, possibly safe enough. Plus, if Russia are excluded, we need one less league to go our way. Oh, Mm-hmm. Hopefully so. So the leagues involved there: <clears throat> Azerbaijan, Hungary, Slovenia, Slovakia, Luxembourg, North Macedonia, Gibraltar, 
and things are going our way in Luxembourg and North Macedonia. So we have the two that we need. And the other five leagues, those teams have a bit of a lead with 10 or 11 games left, so it's not looking good. So we have Dan and we have fellow coefficient enthusiast Ryan McDyer yeah. keeping an eye on things. Not Nurzgar. No. Coefficient enthusiasts. Yes, coefficient enthusiasts. Uh, Damien Duff Shelbourne weren't allowed a week off. They played Dundalk in a friendly on Saturday, so uh, tough week for Damien Duff's shells. So you, what you're saying is that Duffer's shells did not get a week off. They yet. didn't get a week off. They, they had to get stuck in. I think they were down to recovery rooms and things like that. So Duffer's shells officially not allowed to have a week off. They were probably being punished. But listen, Duffer's shells fans, they uh, they they demand success. So. Big shout out to Duffer Shells, not getting a week off. Friday fixture: Bowes v Derry, Dundalk v UCD, St Pat's v Drada, Sligo v Shelbourne, and fuck the last man standing. I didn't fancy it anyway. No crap, don't like it. There's a few midweek games as well, so finding the league table will be evened out. Mm. Everyone will play the same games. Cork are leading the fourth division prof as well. They are flying at the minute. They battered. I think done. I think at long four one there recently. They're flying along. They're getting big crowds, um, and they. F- Galway suffered a forced defeat of the season in Longford on Friday and a Did you see that goalkeeper? Oh my god. <laughs> what the fuck? He actually he's actually Lucan lad, your man McDonald who scored the own goal. But um I was he's talking to somebody somebody's again. mother who plays for Longford, I was talking to her and she was saying uh she was saying poor keeper's hamstrings off Galway, all he does is kick it long. So <laughs> oh Connor Cairns getting an old rub down, I say at this stage. Pass that one on. Uh, Ireland are playing Lithuania this evening as we record here Gambazuna was out of squad with sickness so shit the bed Talbot was called up ahead of the 2-2 draw with Belgium at the Aviva and uh, I don't know why McGinty's not getting a, a, a chance there is McGinty not Scottish? Uh, I don't know I don't think so he's born there but you know what I mean either way I'm not too sure that could, that could be a point could be a point bro unless he's here has he lived here long enough to be eligible I don't know I'm actually not sure about his career history is. but um, did you notice Darren Randolph Darren Randolph's reply on uh, the FEI Instagram to Talbot getting oh, yeah. called up I know yeah. because I haven't retired I must be too old and even when um, he pulled out or even when who pulled out someone pulled out through injury and they called up some fucking Max fella like oh, sure, the, that was bad form the Bristol goal are you telling me that we can't call up one of our keepers like mm. McGinty or, you know what I mean in fairness if, if James Talbot was called up ahead of me I'd be pissed off yeah well. very much so yeah. yeah. Boko reckons McGinty is the best keeper in the league now I mean, he he would say that being the Stiger manager, but you could argue it. You could argue it. Um, is Manus included in this? I mean... What I say other than Manus then? Oh, I'd say McGinty. can't see anybody else. No, I'd agree with that. Uh, McPhail received a commemorative medal as part of the FAI's centenary celebration. So, that sweet, sweet left foot playing the fiddle. I think he was playing the fiddle mm. at, the, at the ceremony with it. Um, yeah, McPhail got... Uh, 10 caps I think and he scored one goal directly from a corner oh I didn't know that there you go failed stats so I didn't actually see the full Ireland game Um, I just saw the highlights but uh, from what I could gather it was an entertaining game in which Ogbené looked great as usual and Jeff Hendrick was shite as usual yeah fucking sky's blue as well this is Jeff Hendrick and you're listening to Tales from the East Stand um, Andy Lyons has been named the substitute of the Ireland 21s game at Sweden it's being played as we speak so um, hopefully he gets on yeah he, he, uh, we don't know the result as we're talking here but uh, Brazzer is on the RT panel for that one ah good stuff 
Brad's are given some knowledge. Pico started for Cape Verde in their friendly versus Guadeloupe in Orleans, France. Guadeloupe, Gareth, the irony. Do you remember the quiz I gave Pico oh. Lopez? <laughs> and I, what was it? And you guessed Guadeloupe for... It, I can't remember what the question it was. It was just totally random, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we were making fun of your Guadeloupe. Um, he hasn't been in the squad either for the last two games, so I think he might be injured, hopefully Possibly not. an injury, yeah, because they've played... Um, there was a 6-0 win over Liechtenstein in Spain. And do you know who scored twice in that game? Baby. Remember no, the, Man, the Man United player? It's not him. It's him. It's not. It is. The homeless guy. <laughs> Fuck off. Apparently. Yeah, remember, yeah. remember Ferguson said he was going to be the next big thing. Yeah. So they played Liechtenstein, then they played San Marino. There were some weird friendlies this past week. I was reading an article. Cape Verde v Liechtenstein is the weirdest friendly out of lot. It, it gets weirder. Uh, check out some of these ones uh, Belarus versus India <laughs> why am I laughing there's nothing funny about Andorra versus St. Kitts and Nevis for fuck's sake and Uganda versus uh, Tajikistan Tajikistan a powerhouse of international football um, yeah so that's a and the underage results prof it's certainly there was a couple of friendlies that at Rollstone the 17th beat the KDUL Kildare League 3-0 with a keen Dylan Hattrick and at Lomer comprehensively beaten by the 14s there was three games on Sunday the 19s beat both 2-0 at Rollstone thanks to goals from Noon and then Letty and the women's 19s were beating 4-0 in Sligo and the men's 15s um, double figures in that game prof in Drada we Justin Ferrazage started for the under 17s in their UEFA in their UEFA European Championship elite phase qualifier v Portugal. Fellow Academy player Gideon Tete was named among the substitutes on both our young hoops started v Bulgaria today, Tuesday. So good luck to the boys. Yeah, and then we had Orla O'Mahony. She started for the Ireland under 17s women's in their uh, Euro qualifiers with Slovakia and Finland. Both played in Tata Stadium the past week. And um, we had Graham Merrill Merrigan. He was in with our under 17s last Thursday to uh, give a talk on his achievements in disability sports and the discipline it took for him to get there. So uh, Merrill was talking about on Twitter about afterwards. He said he was beyond honoured to do that. It was about, as like I said, his achievements in disability sport. He talked about disability inclusion and awareness and, of course, his love of the club. Hey, of course he drew it in there. Good man, Merrill. And um, yeah, SFAI Cups. Congrats to under 13s, under 12 sides who both won the quarterfinal ties in Cork this weekend. They're true to the semi finals. Always a tough place to go is Cork. And the provisional fixtures again. We're recording early in the week, so this is a waiting confirmation. We've under 19 shells Sunday, 1 pm at the AUL. Our under 17s are away to Carlo Kilkenny on Saturday. Our under 15s are home. Versus Bray Sunday 3pm Women's under 17s Home versus Donegal On Saturday And the under 19s women Sunday home Versus Bray And of course The big one of the week Prof Glemelor won 2-1 In their last home game Of the season Against Ben Bull But I think they have Three games left Possibly maybe One away one No more home games But the, is, there, is there cup games left? Uh, they have a quarter final That's it The yeah. quarter final coming up But they had an absolute Screamer Scored In the first half I think it was a Maloney Jason Maloney, um, the poet, he uh, he wrote about this and it was an absolute screamer. Free Maloney, kick. get off the pitch as well. Yeah, absolute screamer. It went viral online and an absolute cracker and then they won. Uh, I think they just went up and scored after conceding late as well. So it was a torn and volley apparently. Shane McCarthy scoring crackers yeah. and Sage from Crumlin. I saw the clip. That was a hell of a free kick. Ah, Two keepers wouldn't have stopped that. Yeah, ridiculous carry on. So, Maloney's yeah. making me laugh as well about his hoodoo. 
He said he stayed away during their seven game winning run, but then when they were thumped 7 0 by Palmerstown, he, he came, but he chanced coming back then. Mm. He couldn't be blamed then. Couldn't get much worse, yeah. yeah. Packer Martin, for the show, my youngest son scored a peach against Bose DSL and gestured at their sideline. You love to see it. That's mm. it. Yeah, love good. to see it. Training them well. Good man, Louis. That was Louis. I was under 12's DDSL. Uh, apparently, he did a little shush to the balls bench. <laughs> I thought it would be an other type of finger, but. Did you see that Twitter thread of, a while back about uh, underage football and the kind of things kids do? Like they mimic. Oh, I was in bits laughing at this. I was in ribbons. I think one of the funniest ones was a kid when he scored, he started looking up <laughs> to the sky, but both his parents are on the sideline. He's like. It's for you. It's for you. His fucking parents are there. I love the way it was written as well. It's like, even though both his parents are alive and were on the sidelines. <laughs> and your man who puts he puts his hand up for the corner. And they've never scored from a corner. <laughs> they don't practice them. No. He's like, yeah. It's like, we don't do that. You don't, nobody knows what you're putting your hand up for. It's fucking brilliant. I love it. Yes, yeah, so next up we have our starting 11s and predictions. <laughs> Okay, bro. Here we go. Uh, this is we've we had a week off. You know, everybody's rested. I'm hoping everybody's back from injury. So I'm gonna go full on, bean blowing. Manison go. Grace Pico and Hart. I think Hart deserves to stay in. I think he's been good. Well, you're saying Pico could be injured. Yeah, straight back from international duty as well. We're gonna have to put Gannon in there, aren't we? Hopefully, Gannon's recovered. Let's say let's say Pico is injured, right? So we're going Gannon. Gannon on the right. So Grace. Left, uh, P or uh, Hor and then Gannon. I'm gonna go Farouge on the left, Lions on the right. <sighs> Skip's getting dropped. As, here. as as Khan said in the interview, I wonder is Ron and Finn thinking, I have a job in my hands again. Ron Finn has a big job in his hands to get into this team. He's not getting in head Lions after that performance. So and twenty ones at Dewey. So it's Farouge on the left, Lions on the right. Watts is the man for me. I I love having Watts in the team. So it's gonna be Gary O'Neill Watts. Bork Gaffney Bourne. No, Danny. Danny can't get in at the minute. Bork's, Bork, too Bork. Bork's been brilliant. Bork's undroppable at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And Gaffney's class. Bourne is Bourne. You've got good options at the bench then. You've got Tell, you've Green, you've uh, you've Finn. I mean, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a two nil win as well. Tight enough two nil win. Do you think he will start for you though? As in, is he ready to... Oh, what's the options then? What else is he... I he's don't given he's... him a... Has he had one or two sub-appearances? I think, like you said... Well, we had a week off, hasn't he? He's had a bit of recovery. True. Two, yeah. possibly. And I think, like you said, Carter. I don't think we'll see him on the left again. Unless he... Just for this game, he goes Lions left, Finn right. But... No, I, I want Farouge on the left as well. So, yeah. I have the same team as you there. And you could say... Now, in fairness... Barry Carter made his debut up here and he was brilliant at centre half. So centre back. He yes. could go in if Gannon's not fit, you could get Barry Carter in here. So But that's what I'm going for anyway. I'm going for a 2 0 win. What's your prediction, Puff? 2 0 win. I'd say a bit more comfortable. I'd say 3 0 win. Oh, tight. All right, lovely. That's the prof. So uh, not much buzz around this game. This is <sighs> a way day, is there? We were talking about our bus. Struggling to fill it. It's a bit weird. It is, it's a bit odd. But if it does it well certain people can get out of the club. Uh, Schmarl Schmerns he can get out of the club well let, let's quote uh, Schmarl Schmerns he said last week talking about the Sligo game how you know there was a lot of empty seats in the south stand and a lot of people we know didn't go there and he said too many full time pub merchants and part time 
football fans at Robbers get out of the club mm. what's your excuse Carl? <laughs> Schmerl yeah, yeah a lot of people need to get out of the club but I think do you remember I was kind of giving out about Dundalk away on the Monday but there was actually a lot of enthusiasm going into that trip because I think we had just beaten balls on the Friday and we were only what five games into the season mm. everyone was loving that but now it just feels like we've had a week's break and no one seems to want the yeah, long trips to Baddy Buffet. Chomping at the bit to get out to this, but listen, we'll fill the bus. We'll, we'll, there'll be a couple of people jumping in at, at the last minute and things like that. But um, will they still be in the moiler? They're probably still in the moiler, yeah. So yeah, that's it. Probably going to move on to the segment of the century. It's George Ringo Bourne, a film critic for the Evening Herald for several years, as well as a hugely knowledgeable music critic and television and book reviewer. He passed away on April 2nd, 2015. So he started his media career in hot press, and he went on to spend several years as a critic for the Irish Independent before joining the Herald. A lifelong Shamrock Rovers fan, he commanded loyalty, friendship, and respect in media, music, and sport circles. He was a former bass guitarist for the rock band Autobop and the Gorehounds, and can I just say that I would love to hear him gook this show. <laughs> I would love it because I know he would. Oh yeah, I would love to hear the criticism. Imagine him critiquing our music choices, our intros <sighs> and outros. Brilliant, wouldn't it? But um, uh, one of the last people uh, speaking is Eamon Carr. I think people will be familiar with him. He's in the Horse Lips. He, uh, he's a critic in the in the Herald as well. Um, he's talking about he's talking about a an Ireland team studio story. Brilliant. But he doesn't say what year it is. So he got in touch after and said, oh, I should have said what that was. He's talking about pre-Euro 88 and the team were recording the song We Are The Boys In Green. So <laughs> just for reference, that's what he's talking about there. And like we said, nothing can prepare you for the ender. Right, so here we are is the all-star lineup. Here we have, by the way, Martin Moore needs to come on the show more often. Yeah. How have we not had him on? Well, something we've been planning for a while is a 70s special. John Byrne and Martin Moore, because the 70s gets no love at Rovers. Think about it. No. It's the least talked about decade yeah. in our history. But anyway, here we are. You'll have Martin Moore, Dunster, Ian O'Doherty, Tony O'Donoghue, Fiona Looney, Eamon Carr, and John Byrne. Hello, my name is Martin Moore, occasional attender of Shamrock Rovers games through the years. I'd like to thank Carl and Gary for giving me a chance to say a few words about my friend George Bourne. Seeing as on April the 2nd, it will be a scarcely believable seven years since he left us, I think tributes are well in order. But first of all, let's start out the name. He was known to the world in general, and Ireland in particular, as George Bourne, controversial music, film and TV critic, quiz supremo, and scourge of purveyors of bad music, the GAA, most parts of Ireland outside Dublin, and bullshitters everywhere. To his friends at Rovers, and he had many, he was always Ringo, a name he was born to have considering his three Christian names were John, Paul and George and he was a Beatles fanatic. To his family, loved ones and close friends, he was invariably John, his actual first name. Since his circle of friends at Rovers included another John Bourne, also a journalist, this occasionally caused confusion, but he got over it. We first met in the mid-80s through a mutual mate, man about town and top hoop, Robbie Foy. They met through music. Robbie was managing bands at the time and Ringo was writing for the hot press. I don't think I'd be revealing state secrets if we admitted that when we first met, I couldn't stand them. Put up mildly, he was a tad opinionated and he wasn't shy about loudly expressing those opinions. He would never back down in an argument, even when he was completely in the wrong. 
He argued with all his friends occasionally, and some like myself, constantly. We used to joke that the only things we ever agreed on were the Beatles, the Vincent Price movie Theatre of Blood, a film we both loved, and Shamrock Rovers Football Club. When he started tagging along with Robbie at Rovers games, my joy was unconfined. But a funny thing happened among aftermatch drinks and away trip coaches. I discovered that under that gruff and obnoxious exterior was an equally gruff and obnoxious interior. But there was also a warm and kind bloke whose generosity and loyalty to his friends knew no bounds. Dislike became tolerance and eventually genuine friendship. Didn't stop us arguing, though. On the Easter Sunday after his passing, a group of friends met up in Frank Ryan's of Queen Street, one of Ringo's favourite pubs, to raise a glass to his memory. Jason Maloney came up with the idea of going through the alphabet and torn and coming up with a word to describe Ringo. And luckily enough, I didn't get the letter C. My brother Jimmy got the letter D, thought for a little while and simply said, Dublin. And that was perfect. Dublin was everything to Ringo, a true liberties boy. He wasn't even too keen on people north of the Liffey, something he regularly pointed out to this particular Northside hoop. And nothing spelled Dublin more to him than Rovers. Although he was a knowledgeable football fan, he wasn't the kind of guy you discuss back threes and false nines with. He was in love with the madness of the League of Ireland, the madness that would make intelligent adults drag themselves into town on a rainy November Sunday morning to get in the coach to God knows where. The madness that would make you tolerate a diabolical first half and torrential rain in the Carlisle grounds and be taunted by the DJ playing, fool if you think it's over at halftime. And he was only too happy to share the madness. He never stopped bigging up brothers on print, on radio, on TV, everywhere. Every TV quiz he set the questions for usually saw a hooped question pop up somewhere. In 1987, the hot press sent him to the USA to cover the U2 Joshua Tree tour. God knows why. He hated U2, and Bono and the boys were only too aware of this. A major press conference in New York, attended by journalists from all around the world, featured a question from the floor by an Irish journalist who'd been fed the line by Ringo. Bono was asked what he thought of Rovers leaving Milltown, to which he replied he was always a Rovers supporter as they came from his side of the city. A huge surprise to Rovers fans who knew he was an art side. His first love was always music, though. Few writers expressed the sheer excitement of hearing a great record better than Ringo. He loved the Beach Boys, the Beatles, Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra but also The Blades, Something Happens, Whipping Boy and Pugwash, Irish bands that he would never tire of shouting to the world about. If he didn't like you though, God help you. He had a particular dislike of the frames and took it very badly when the lead singer Glenn Hansard won the Oscar for best song. However, when Ringo was very ill and in a coma, Glenn offered to play his song by his bedside in the hope that he would hop out of bed to assault him, proving that he was a good-hearted guy who didn't take himself too seriously. Ringo's other great love was quizzing, something he took very seriously indeed, both as competitor and question master. He was part of a team of music quiz sharks which dominated table quizzes in Dublin in the 80s and 90s, making them very unpopular, which Ringo absolutely loved. He approached me once about joining this team using the immortal phrase, how would you like to join Liverpool? And of course, we have the insanely competitive annual Rovers quiz named after him, which will return sooner rather than later. His other claim to fame was his implacable hatred of the GAA, he always hated them, and the Thomas Davis affair sent him into complete overdrive. If you've ever used the terms bog ball and stick fighting to describe our alleged national games, you owe Ringo thanks, as he coined both of these phrases and worked his hardest to insert them into the national vocabulary with some degree of success. In 2015, we won our first game of the season in Tala, beating Pats with a Danny North goal. And Frank Ryan's afterwards, Ringo was in rare form, made even better when he was the victor in the dispute over number one records by Slade. I was wrong, and he was right. Standing outside for taxis, we planned for a long for the way the following week. His taxi arrived and I gave him a goodbye. 
he laughed and said, come here, you big idiot, and gave me a huge hug. It was the last time we ever spoke. The next time I saw him was, his, it was in the St. James's hospital bed when I missed my chance for a final goodbye by 15 minutes. Just felt that we turned away for a second and when we looked back, he was gone. When our little group of loyal hoops gathers to celebrate cup and league wins or just the sheer good luck of following Rovers, we always raise a glass to Rennie, we always raise a glass to Big Deck and we especially raise a glass to Ringo, one of our own. He was George, he was Ringo and he was John. But most of all, he was one of a kind and we all still miss him like crazy. All right, lads, uh, don't stay here. Uh, thanks for inviting me to give me memories of uh, Ringo. Greatly appreciate Um Unlike probably a lot of the people who are going to speak on this, I, I, I only go back with George maybe to early 2003 when I started travelling on the Hoops SE bus. Um, like a lot of the people on there, other than our lover hours, I discovered myself and George. had a love of music as well. And although kind of... A lot of lads, it was the same thing. Kind of one thing, one band that we that we really, really liked was it's strange. It was a band called the Untanks, who were uh, a couple of sister, sisters who sang f- from Northumberland, who sang folk songs and giving odd clog dance in the middle of a band, which probably wasn't sound like George's music, but it was probably the only time I spent maybe on my own with George. It was was going to see the Untanks and. Uh, some great nights any time they played the two of us would go on a really great night I remember going to see them in the pepper canister in a really kind of intimate intimate environment we had a couple of drinks before and a couple of drinks after and it was a, it was a really really great night and um, obviously as well with George as well being Le he kind of he loved kind of talking about music and other thing was food as well and uh, it's a little known fact that like I was in a band when I was about 19 and we didn't we were too lazy to write our own lyrics so um we just used to open a recipe book and recite recipes so we call ourselves pyrex death so one time um the kind of famous chef anthony bourdain was in town and then um, ringo was interviewing i think they were having a point and a bite to eat over the interview and anthony bourdain was he was a, i think he was a punk rock fan himself as well he was uh he was saying it's it's amazing how like so many people love food and love music, but um, the, the two of them have never really, no one's ever really matched the two of them together. And Ringo goes, ah, now Anthony, there was a friend of mine had a band called Pyrex Death and they used to sing rap recipes over their songs instead of lyrics. So although Anthony Bourdain is no longer with us either, unfortunately, he was uh, I was, I was thrilled to know that Anthony Bourdain had actually heard of my little band. So it was uh, it was great to hear. So, but obviously, yeah, George was great fun on the bus as well. He was uh, always opinionated and um, kind of the arguments. The amount of times they probably had to get in between him and Martin Moore <laughs> was something else. The two of them used to spark off each other all the time. Uh, yeah, and uh, I just, I just, every now and again as well, like started every year, I pull out George's article he wrote about the start of the season and how just important the social aspect is of football compared other than the football itself or like the traveling on the bus the sitting in the pub with the singing the getting beaten the getting treated like crap and it, it was great like and i said that was a huge part like of of our thing it was like meeting in the pubs and probably george's local was fallon's and 
I'd probably never would have drank in Fallon's if it wasn't for George. And so we used to meet him there a lot before games because that was his little spot or whatever. And funny enough, when I was buying my apartment, there was the place across the road. It's actually not far from Fallon's. And um, the, there was a couple of people viewing it and I was buying it directly from the owner. And the owner says, uh, uh, does anyone know the area? And everyone just kind of shrugged their shoulders. And I went, ah, yeah, my mate lives around the corner. But I'm in Fallon's all the time. And... He goes, ah, Fallon's was my dad's favourite pub. And yeah, I ended up <laughs> buying the house off him. And they sold it to me because I, I said I liked the area and I drank a Fallon. So if it wasn't for Rinko, I probably never would have got me apartment. So so there you go. Like, and just other little stories, like sitting in the pub. There was one time we were in Mars and Ballybock, obviously maybe after playing Shells. And I went up to the counter and I bought a packet of dry roasted peanuts. I would say this was probably 2008, 2009. And... I noticed that they had uh, planters peanuts behind the counter. Sorry, not planters, they had Manhattan behind the peanuts. And I had that little cardboard thing with the things on it. And I noticed it was like 2008 and the Twin Towers were still on it. And I, was, and I was going back, I was going, is it mad? You would have think that they'd taken that off. And another thing that you might know about George is that he wrote the, uh, he wrote the, uh, some of the letters page in the Herald. If you ever read anything a bit strange, it was probably him. So lo and behold, the following week, I'm looking at the letters page in the Herald and uh, there's a letter there saying, uh, I had some relatives over from the States and we went in, we went into a pub. They were horrified to see the Manhattan peanuts still had the, the twin towers on the package. They were very upset. So we switched to planters, another fine brand. So <laughs> you had to be careful what you were saying to them because it could often end up in the, in the letters page of the Herald. So, uh, yeah, so, God, when I heard that he was in hospital, it was a terrible shock to the system now. And then, obviously, when the night I heard he died, it was Good Friday, which is, which meant we couldn't even go to the pubs, which was kind of ironic for Ringo. So, uh, lucky enough, my cousin Kieran was living close by at the time. So, I we went around to Kieran's and we had a couple of drinks that night. And then, like, geez, we had a couple of... After that, we had a couple of good nights, like to celebrate his life, and um, even like the the day of his funeral was was like <laughs> it was a really good day out. But I'll never forget like the the the, the day of the funeral as well. Um, it was Tom Dunn from Something Happens in the church sang "God Only Knows" by the Beach Boys, and then when we were in the crematorium, um, the last song they played was "Soft Cell." say hello, wave goodbye, and I just can't listen to those songs anymore, they just, I can't listen to them, but they just, they just absolutely, I crack up when I hear them, I can't deal with it, and then obviously, a while afterwards as well, I think one of the, I think it was News Talk replayed, it was a, it's an episode of Pet Sounds, Tom Dumb show that Ringo had hosted, and just to hear his voice was, uh, was just, it was, it was just, it, it's someone that you can actually sit down and hear that voice, and it's it's very strange to know that they're, they're you can hear their voice but they're no longer here but so yeah but so obviously yeah no as i said like i don't want to end this that point but like just george is great company. really miss him he's great company great to be around and he's kind of unpredictable at times and as i said he could be argumentative and a little messy but uh but he was never boring and uh i miss him terribly so thanks lads and keep on hooping ringo Okay, take three. I'm fed up with this story. Can you do it upstairs so I can watch Daddy? Bottom line, and, and actually what makes this even better is that basically Sarah's now shouting at me going, can I just go upstairs and stop it? Um, Ringo was the best man. 
he was the worst best man that you could ever possibly have. Um, everybody had said, don't do it. But we were all doing a lot of drugs at the time. So obviously then Ringo just seemed like the obvious best man for me. Um, he managed to insult absolutely everybody. Um, even down to the fact that his best man speech, which he had a bet on, was that he could do it within three minutes. Like every great pop song, as we all know. And, but unfortunately for me, not for everybody else, but for me, he just used a bunch of a house song titles because obviously a house of the greatest Irish band of all time. And he knew, you know, I was a big favor. And, but he finished up by saying, as Ian said to me last night, I am afraid. Now the 10 people in the room who knew a house got a great laugh out of that. The other 200 people in the room who didn't know a house just went, Jesus Christ, what's going on here? Um, so that was Ringo. That was basically Ringo. And he couldn't understand um, why other people might not have necessarily liked it. So I was very pissed off at him. We fecked off on honeymoon. Um, we went to Hawaii and then we came back to New York and but the really funny thing is, before Ringo came over to New York, was that myself and Sarah went in to a bar, one of our local bars on the Barry, which is a place called Gatsby's, just up on Spring Street. And there was an Irish barman behind the bar. And he recognized that I was a journalist. He knew me from before. And he happened to say, do you know George Barton? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually, he's coming over tomorrow. And the guy basically had a breakdown and said, he's Bart. And it turns out he was the bass player in, in a bunch of northern hippies who were so terrible that after Ringo had reviewed them with the most funny and withering put down of a review, the band broke up. And so he basically was the reason why this guy ended up in New York. Um, so all of these things are terrible. And also, by the way, <clears throat> he walked out of Vincent's restaurant, the most famous Italian restaurant in Mott Street, um, and insulted the chef. And I was like, anybody else should be shot. But because it was Ringo, we just kind of went, ah, well, it's just Ringo. And so he's got me sacked from gigs. He's got me into so many fights and the amount of punches that have been thrown because of George down the years. I have no idea. But that was him. That was him. Also, I should point out that I loved that man. And it breaks my heart every day when I wake up. And I realized that he's not here with us anymore. As much as a straight man can love another straight man, I loved him and I miss him. I really, really miss him. Gosh, on a sunny evening like tonight and 
after just finishing work there's nothing I'd like more now than to go for a point with my old ringer George Byrne or John Paul George and Ringo uh, he was known as all these things and I ended up often calling him Gringo uh, but he was a, a great friend for such a long time I think we bonded through music first um, I used to run the Carling Hot Press Band of the Year competition out of Sir Henry's famous uh, old venue in Cork uh, and as a a noted hot press scribe at the time, uh, George and uh, a whole load of a load of other reprobates would get the train down to Cork, uh, stay the night in the Grand Parade Hotel, uh, and cast their critical eye over the performances of the various bands. But my goodness, we had a laugh and we uh, we enjoyed it very much. Um, George's music knowledge was encyclopedic. Um, I knew him when he was in the Gorehounds. I saw him play in that band. I uh, knew before that he had been in a band called Autobop. Uh, and he just had great musical taste. He he knew what he was talking about. Uh, never one to, to suffer fools or rubbish bands. Uh, he called a spade a spade, but he, he loved quality. He certainly did. Um, and I do remember uh, one weekend in Cork, the Thursday nights was the, the night for the, the band competition. Uh, and I think the following day was a Friday, uh, a good Friday. Uh, but we knew somewhere we could go to get <laughs> a few beers. Uh, and then George was heading back to Dublin on the train. Um, and I decided I'll go with him. Uh, and off we went down to the uh, railway station, uh, into the train uh, and back up to Dublin. Not having an arse in my trousers, so to speak. Uh, just got back up there uh, and was shown, you know, the, the delights of Dublin's fair city by George. Uh, he knew all the right people. We went to... Uh, great places. I remember one night going to the Trinity Ball with him uh, and going back to his house at stupid o'clock in the morning and have breakfast made by his ma. Um, yeah, he was just such a, a, a great bloke. Um, in football terms, that we soon bonded. Uh, music and football, I suppose, was what uh, uh, were our twin loves. Uh, and even though I'm a Cork City fan, he was a Shamrock Rovers fan and I spent a lot of time in his company and, and Richie and Buzz and Fiona. Uh, going to matches uh, or seeing them at away matches and the crack they used to have. I remember one time in particular, I think it was 94-95 um, season, um, I was living in Dublin at that stage, uh, but Cork City uh, had drawn Slavia Prague in the UEFA Cup uh, and they were flying out on a charter direct from Cork, but I was in Dublin uh, and we decided that the best way of getting there for me uh, to Prague was to bunk on this time to the um, the Shamrock Rovers uh, special. Uh, Rovers were playing uh, somewhere in Poland. They are sent to Poland, I think, Gornik Zabdre or something they were called. Um, so George arranged for me to uh, get onto the, the Rovers charter, uh, which went direct from Dublin to Prague. And then we had a night out in Prague and we, we, we stayed together in some grotty hotel. Um, had a great night. And then the Rovers fans had a horrendous journey uh, to go from uh, Prague to Poland, and a horrendous result as well. I think it was, I think it was seven nil. I think it finished eight nil in aggregate. So I suppose we don't want to talk about that too much. Uh, but there were great glory years as well uh, for Rovers, and uh, George knew his football as well as he knew his music. There's no question about that. And he had a great bullshit detector as well. Um, he was very witty, uh, but he knew the people who didn't know what they were talking about. Um, in terms of music, I do remember my stag uh, ahead of the wedding. We had a night out in Dublin uh, and we all went to the Dockers pub eventually. 
and a lot of posers in the music scene, of course. Uh, a lot of people who would like to think that they, they know what they're talking about. Uh, but Andy McCluskey, there's a bit of a name drop for you. He's the lead singer in Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, OMD. And uh, he became a friend of mine because he was uh, doing the year out in Dublin for writing thing. Uh, but he came along to the Dockers. And all these people who attest to know what they're talking about and consider themselves uh, music fans and aficionados. Well, Andy brought a, a mate of him, a mate of his, uh, to the Dockers as well to, to join in the, the celebrations. Um, and nobody in the room who, you know, be it, you know, Hot House Flowers fans or Maria McKee fans or U2 fans or whatever, nobody in the room uh, knew that the guy with Andy McCluskey uh, was Carl Bartos, uh, the legendary craftwork uh, uh, musician. Craftwork uh, considered one of the great bands, one of the most influential bands in pop music. Uh, some people say it's the Beatles and Craftwork. Um, the only man in the room who recognised Carl Bartos was George Byrne, of course. Um, and you know the band The Blue Nile, what a great band they are. Uh, and their singer, Paul Buchanan, dedicated the documentary In Search of the Blue Nile to George Byrne, uh, who was a, a massive fan. He introduced me uh, to the music of the go-betweens. Um, he liked the Beach Boys and the Clash. Uh, but Rovers was a love of his. In the same way, perhaps more so, uh, then his love of Chelsea and he also suggested that he he, uh, he was a Glasgow Rangers fan but that was typical George as well he loved to rub people up the wrong way just for the reaction it would get uh, but the fun we had at gigs and at matches uh, and at quizzes because he was bloody amazing at quizzes uh, it put you to, to shame really with, with his knowledge um, and he was taken for us far too soon and I really miss him on an evening like this and I would love to go for a pint with him. In fact, you know what? This evening, I'm going to raise a glass to you, John Paul George Ringo Gringo, my friend. Take care. I was talking to Robbie Foy about this a while ago, and we agreed that of all the people we've loved and lost prematurely, it's Ringo whose legacy lingers strongest. What Would Ringo Do has become almost a check, an entertaining daydream that we all engage in strange situations. Ringo will be turning in his grave, is another line we revert to again and again. When the 1916 commemorations were on the telly, I texted it so many times to so many people that my predictive text began to anticipate the whole sentence. For anyone who didn't know Ringo, that's as good a place to start as any. On that unbelievable day back in April 2015, in Ringo's distraught parents' house, I approached the open coffin with a mixture of incredulity and dread and the first thing I saw was the poppy on his lapel and the first thing I said to his parents was the fucking poppy, the smile forcing its way to my unwitting lips. There were people in the garden that day wearing Easter lilies but not for Ringo the trappings of republicanism or any other popular movement or notion. At his funeral, when the priest heard that Ringo's other football clubs were Chelsea and Rangers, he looked genuinely shocked. But it wasn't that Ringo was a unionist or a conservative or belonged in any of those boxes. He just really, really liked winding people up. In a way, it's surprising he didn't get punched more often than he did. There was one time when he and I were walking from some gig to a club or a pub to a gig or some version of that. Those nights are all tangled up in time now. We were walking past the mansion house on the far side of the street when we noticed some activity outside the Lord Mayor's gaff. 
At pretty much precisely the same time, Ringo and I both recognised besuited members of the Irish rugby team gathered outside, a team that was pretty much winning triple crowns for fun at that time. I can't say what George called rugby now or I'd be cancelled. I think I can just about get away with recalling that in his mouth, Gaelic football was bog ball and hurling stick fighting. Suffice to say that George Byrne and rugby were not fellow travellers and certainly not on that night when they found themselves in the same street. But I still wasn't prepared for what happened next. Drawing himself up to his full five foot eight, George started bellowing across the empty street at the rugby players, questioning their sexual orientation, the source of their parents' wealth, their parents' marital status. It was extraordinary to watch. This one man, who two minutes earlier had been talking reasonably about jangly guitars, suddenly spitting unsolicited venom at a bunch of men twice his size, half his age and many miles faster. The players looked over and paused their small talk. I saw Paul O'Connell, who is a mountain, stare at Ringo in shock and bafflement. When a few of them started across the road, I grabbed his arm and pulled him away. He was less lucky with several traditional musicians who over the years took exception, not just to George's caustic dismissal of their craft, but to his insisting on going up to them in public to make sure they were fully aware of his scorn. His talent for reducing an artist or a band's whole life's work with a single insult was legendary. Davy Spillane might have been an award-winning Illin Piper revered the world over for his artistry, but to Ringo, he was spillage. Cactus World News signed one of the biggest record deals ever in Ireland and were reduced to the CACs. If you made the mistake of letting your ego get ahead of you, Ringo could cut you back down to size in a heartbeat. He once told me I was nothing but a groupie with a typewriter. Jesus, he'd be so cancelled now. He hated everything popular, so in a way it's odd that he loved Rovers as much as he did. I suppose the support for Rovers and the green and white hoops that he hated so much on any other team dated back from his childhood, from a time before he decided to take on the world single-handedly. But he was completely at home at Rovers, regaling us during matches with stories about other people's daft exploits and bad behaviour, arguing with Martin Moore afterwards about track listings of obscure albums and generally acting the Egypt in perfectly good company. On the rare occasions that he wasn't there, we'd share stories about him. Now that he's gone, those stories are still shared. Whenever I see the lads now and somebody opens with, remember the time, you just know the next word out will be Ringo, or George, or John. They named him three times. I suppose it was because there was just too much of him for one name to cover. All right, let's try this then. The problem I have, I suppose, uh, when I think of George... (laughs) Sorry, see what happened there? All right. I mean, as soon as I mentioned the name George Byrne, the word problem (laughs) pops into my mind. Anyway, uh, in a good way, of course. Uh, You know, it's it's just a... You know, when you mention George, uh, the mind becomes overwhelmed with all sorts of memories and mad experiences and funny stories and you know great times but it's all very confused it's, sometimes it's, it's a bit like when Charlie Mingus takes off on an improv solo you have no, you have no idea where it's going to go um, 
Oh, I know. Start at the beginning. That's what people say. Start at the beginning. Right. Uh, it was a cold and frosty night. And indeed it was. And we were coming back from Red Island and Scaries in the 70s. Early, well, what, I don't know, 74 maybe? I can't remember. And uh, we were driving along the road. It was about maybe two, half two in the morning, whatever. The gig was long over. And way out the road, we spot these two young fellas uh, coming a lift back to Dublin. You know, it's, it's there's no traffic once the band... <laughs> well, they're probably the last ones to leave town. And uh, these guys, they didn't have overcoats or anything, and there was fr- it was a frosty night, and there was ice on the roads and so on. And if we didn't stop or give them a lift, they'd probably have been found suffering from hypothermia the next day. But anyway, we gave them a lift, and it turned out that one of, the, one of these teenagers was George Bourne. It seems George had organised a bus to the gig from town, right? And he'd enjoyed himself so much at the gig that he missed the, the bus, the return journey. <laughs> George missed his own bus, right? That should have told me something. Anyway, I didn't see George for years anyway after that. Well, a few years. And I next, uh, I next encountered him through Robbie Foy. Thanks, Robbie. And uh, we became firm friends. And, you know, this, they discovered very quickly that we subscribed to a similar sort of cultural aesthetic, if you like, uh, that ranged from everything from, you know, appreciation of... Uh, uh, big star to, to, to a fondness for, for the garrison game um, but there are a lot of I mean God there are a lot of a lot of stories in my head um, about George anyway look I, I won't get too maudlin on this I'll, 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 I'll try and play for laughs anyway one that, one that pops up uh, is the time we went to a Blur concert in London in a BBC studio um, I can't remember where Bupper made a veil somewhere and it was a it was a fine gig and we were really enjoying ourselves and, and you know we might have had a visit to a hostelry beforehand and so on as you do going to a gig and but you know the next thing is there were a couple of uh, women who were older than us sitting in front of us and it, one of them turned around and berated us and asked us to be quiet and I, I was completely taken aback but not George he didn't miss a beat <laughs> and he reminded the complainant he said I can't something along the lines of he said I'm sorry he said this is a rock and roll gig not a library <laughs> and uh, and that softened uh, the complainant's cough I can assure you and we didn't hear any more after that and I was really impressed that he actually didn't swear that was really good and I said it to him later I said, by the way and he said oh no 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 you wouldn't have done a situation like that um, really impressed by that but the other thing that worries me is that as we get older, further away from things, the memory becomes a little bit fuzzy and the, the, the sharp edges get a bit blurred and, and the focus gets a little bit soft, you know. Um, but the image, the image, the images still stand out. Um, I mean, the classic one, of course, was the, the time I got a heads up about the uh, the Ireland squad were recording a. a an Irish football team anthem down in uh, in Windmill Lane, and you know the vibe was wanting me to come down as a as a musician, I think. But anyway, whatever. So naturally enough, I, I rang George and Robbie Foy and Declan Lynch and said, "Lads, come on, can't miss this." So Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, we trooped down to Windmill Lane. The squad all arrived. Jack wasn't there; it was Big Bourne and Charlie and so on, and uh, and they were all terribly ill at ease and the the the. the People who were actually making the record were all uh, in, the sh- in the control room and the players were all hanging around very, you know, 
um, sort of out of place, really. And um, so we, we, I, I, you know, I approached Mick. I think it was, and I said, "Look, I said maybe a lot of lads come round to the dockers, and maybe for for you know uh, a softer and uh, and uh, maybe a pint, and, and we can come back, and I'm sure they'll be singing like uh, canaries." Anyway, so that that happened. Broke the ice. We all came back, but the boys are still a bit sort of uptight when they're all standing there, and the cameras are rolling, and they're meant to sort of sing the chorus and so on. And uh, we're 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 off camera. We didn't get into the we didn't get into the shot. And uh, so I, I I said I said to George George I said look the boys are a bit uptight. I said I think we should I think we should drop the bomb here. I said yeah. Well, I said we'll drop our kecks and moon the lads. He said yeah, brilliant, yeah, brilliant. So spread the word. So the four of us anyway said right, we'll turn back, turn it back some, and on the count of three we drop our kecks. So we did. And mooned the squad, and of course, <laughs> and of course, that wasn't enough for George. He then had to sort of pogo forward and uh, wave his arms, sort of shouting some sort of uh, terrorist uh, abuse or something. But anyway, um, the the boys are delighted, and the, the cameras actually caught uh, the event. But they, thankfully, we were behind the cameras, so they didn't catch our spotty arses. But they, they, um, you can see that there's footage of. The team and they're all sort of standing there one minute and the next minute they're all cracking up laughing and pointing and shouting and so on and so forth and it was great and then from there we went back to the pub until closing time and I think in fact they played it was a friendly on the Thursday on the Wednesday that week Tuesday Wednesday I think it was against Yugoslavia but I was in an awful state on the Monday I certainly was a match but um, um, but yeah no look George stories I I I mean, I think. I mean, the story that I the story I shared that really means something to me was the time George and I were in Milan. We went to see. Um, we were invited to see uh, Radiohead out in Monza. And it was a beautiful summer's evening, outdoor gig, a boutique, small festival type thing. Really lovely, uh, great food, beautiful wine, lovely weather, all that sort of stuff, and great access to the band afterwards and hanging out and all the rest of it. Anyway, the following day, um, George said, you know, what are you up to killing time, you know, before we get our flight? And I said, well, I said, I'm in Milan. If I'm never in Milan, I, I, I always uh, I, I try, try to get, have a look at uh, there's a Michelangelo uh, Pieta, the Rondonini, that I tried. It was the last uh, work that he, he was hacking at when he, when he died. And... Um, was it moved from Rome to, to, to Milan? So he said, I always get a chance. To, I always try to take an opportunity to see it. And he said, Right, okay, come on, let's go. So off we went anyway and uh, found a place. And uh, this is a million miles away, by the way, from the, the Pieta in, the, uh, in St. Peter's Basilica, where, you know, everybody knows the Virgin is sitting there and the Christ is dead and lying across her lap. And, you know, so, uh, but it's a, a, an amazing masterpiece. But this other one, he, he, he actually he actually carved that when he was 24. But the one in Milan, he was 88, and he was actually he was he was working on it, but up to about five days before he died. And uh, it's an upright figure, the two upright figures rather. The, the, the Virgin Mary is sort of holding this elongated body of Christ, and uh, I mean, it's it's he was really trying to get at something that was, you know. Deep, deep in his soul, really, you know. But anyway, we found it, and we were just alone with this piece. You could touch it if you wanted to, and uh, and uh, we could, 
you know, George, I was just standing there looking at this thing. We both knew, and suddenly we were on the same wavelength. This was, this was uh, an eighty-eight-year-old genius who, who had, you know, was searching really deep into his soul for 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 this work of of great angst, doubt, devotion, political upheaval, his own personal stuff. I mean, anyway, we were totally blown away, and I mean, on a sort of a musical level it was it was almost like encountering listening to a live performance maybe here for the very first time someone like Robert Johnson incredible piece of work I mean George loved it and until the day he died George would frequently remind me of that afternoon in Milan and it was as if we had taken a TARDIS back to the 16th century and actually sort of stood there alongside the, the master craftsman and, and, and a typical George, you know, I mean, like, you could be anywhere on the bus, at a cafe, in the pub, at a gig or something, and, and out of the blue he'd just turn and go, Rondonini Pieta. And he used to say it as if he was talking about a new midfielder for the Azuri or something, you know. Rondonini Pieta. That's George Bourne for me, man. Get out of bed at half past ten. Phone up Ringo. He's a party animal. Turn on the news. Drink some tea. Maybe if he's up for it, we'll go do some gardening. One day I'll read or learn to drive a car. But you can't pass the test if you're permanently pissed. As the dam said in their song, Neat, 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 a distant man can sympathise. But... I miss Ringo, said goodbye, but I feel empty, deep inside, deep inside. Of all of my favourite voices, he was the one. Pick up a six-pack and board the bus, open a can once we pass St. James's Gate. Going to Rovers away was such fun. Something we shared and felt we belonged. We were the Rovers boys in strength and joy. In a world of our own, we were always gargling. We were out on our own and felt so complete. It was a secret life that was quite ephemeral. I miss Ringo, said goodbye, but I feel empty. Deep inside, deep inside. Of all of my favourite voices, he was the one. Of all of my favourite voices, he was the one. 
We also shared the annual Soccer Writers Awards. He loved the quiz. It was such a stage. And when we won one year, he took to his feet. MC Dara, Maloney almost missed a beat. It's not a crime to live like Ringo did. The way I like to picture him. When I get home, it's late at night. I pour a drink and watch some old shite. Think of Ringo lighting up the night. Football, films, music filled his days. And having a few old jars along the way. Ah, I'm still waiting for the moment when I hear him say. Ah, lads! I miss Ringo, said goodbye, but I feel empty, deep inside, deep inside, of all of my favourite voices, he was the one, I miss Ringo, said goodbye, he was so full of life, so I cried, when he died, of all of my favourite voices, he was the one. Of all of my favourite voices, he was the one. Geria Tutsi Frutsi Vices. Yeah, he was the one. So that was. Can we make this John Bourne? Can we make that into a single and start selling it? <laughs> like oh, we were gargling, <laughs> brilliant, gargling, always gargling. How did he come up with that? Honestly, you know, Doherty's pissed. By the way, <laughs> I love care. how he's recording in memoriam and he's just out shouting at his missus. Yeah, he was, or she's shouting at him. Gargling. Sorry. Absolutely, gar- brilliant from Fiona. Yeah. Just so, those stories are fucking gold, gold, and you can hear the emotion pouring out of them. It's fucking brilliant. Thanks to everybody who did that. That was absolutely brilliant. Ninety percent of it was about music. Like Tony O'Donoghue <laughs> is just name dropping bands left, right, and center. It's overwhelming how many bands he's talking about. Yeah, just I'm just Man. listening, going, wow. This is impressive. Like, you don't know about all those little circles and you realise yeah. that all these people who are in the spotlight, they all work for RT, they do critics, they they, they critique music, they have articles. You don't know what goes on behind the social scene and who are friends, who's not. I had no idea, Tony. I don't know who was friends with him until I heard that. I only got... Uh, what gave me the idea to ask Tony was um, when I googled George Byrne and they were talking about his funeral and they were talking about so many people from the radio scene and the football scene were there and and uh, paying their respects and Tony was mentioned. I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll give give Tony a show, and he was only delighted to do it. And um, just yeah. emotion everywhere. Like, that was that just... was that was an all-star lineup, I tell you. Uh, Dunster, turn off your alarm, please. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was mine. Was that <laughs> yeah. his? I thought it was mine. I was like on fucking yeah. one of my many alarms that goes off every single day. I think Dunster's been more ideas than anyone else, has he? I think mm. he's done three or four at this stage. He I lo- loves the old social scene, loves a drop. I love the writing wacky letters in the Evening Herald. Ah, oh, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Just getting a little private yeah. joke out of it, you know. 
and someone mentioned I can't remember who it was that he would he'd always look to mention Rovers in reviews he'd get them in somehow mm. and even my dad said it to me I said oh did you ever read George Byrne's stuff and he said of course yeah. he did and, Joe Soap and he said yeah I'd just be reading a music review by George and then he'd veer off into something about what he called the mighty Shamrock Rovers <laughs> Brilliant. So, so even me dad, I can't be the only one, by the way, who had to Google Affirmal. Did you catch that one by John Byrne? He went full thesaurus on his No, <laughs> I didn't. I tell you what I did yeah. do. I went into a rabbit hole for about an hour looking at Michelangelo's <laughs> works of art and Googling 80s Irish bands. So I'm listening to A House at the minute, a Scottish pop band Blue Nile, um, and just appreciating Renaissance art. That's, that's how much culture is involved in this fucking segment. Do you know what? I'm gonna I'm probably gonna listen to that a few times. A lot of Just, marble Mickeys in my history. Yeah. <laughs> Lara will be uh Lara will be questioning uh, your Google search there. Gar? Sorry to mention Lara, don't slap me. <laughs> but uh also Dunster well first of all, shout out to Dunster and John Byrne and especially Robbie Foy who helped me uh reach out to these people. Like obviously some of them are well known, I wouldn't have had a hope of asking them. Yeah, and yeah. so they were they like got him to do it and Robbie Foy by the way apparently was a band manager he was what? Robbie we could use some of your expertise manager. he managed bands and he was involved with bands and as, ah, as, right. on, in, in the social scene get in touch Rob we'd love some info or some knowledge or anything you can bestow upon us because it's something that I'm trying to get involved in and host some nights yeah. so we're, we're here and we're open for critique or any sort of knowledge that you can give us yeah big thanks to the guys for helping me put that list together and uh, also Dunster not only did they give me those uh, those people who paid tribute, but Dunster gave me something that he mentioned in his tribute that in 1999 he filled in on uh, Pet Sounds and he hosted the show for an hour and a half and it's on the internet and I downloaded it. What? And I just stuck it on in work and I got you the whole hour and a half. It flew by. Just George picking songs and talking in between the songs. It was thoroughly enjoyable. Oh, get, get, that, get me involved in that prop. Let me Absolutely. Know. So that is it for this week and you are you're very welcome for that absolute slobber knocker of a show. The prof is pulling it out of the bag again. Loads of loads of good stuff coming up. Content Central lately, prof. We're gonna have uh Tony O'Neill, community officer, coming on soon enough. We're gonna have a special with the ultras. It's gonna be a hard hitting one. Plenty of content coming up, so keep it uh keep your ear to the ground for that one. And we are gonna leave it at that, prof. We will see you on the Tifties bus and the four props, points of green ribbon, trips to Bali Buffet, and hopefully three points on the road. And of course, you know, we love away days here in Tifties Prof. And we have a very fit tribute to the away days from Mr. George Bourne in his article. Quite apart from what happens on the field, the social aspect of a group of like-minded grumps and malcontents getting together is not to be underestimated, particularly on trips down the country. Away days, even the clubs who seem to grow to their way to make life as difficult as possible for travelling fans, can frequently be more entertaining than the football itself and the sound of a can of Presky being opened just isn't the same in Dublin as on a coach heading to Derry, Sligo, Cork or Limerick. <laughs> can of Bradsky, the old classic, eh? <laughs>
Yes, indeed. An Irish act in the middle of a, an American power pop sandwich. 100 to 102 today, FM. You're listening to Pet Sounds. George Bourne standing in for Tom Dunn until 9 o'clock this evening. And Tom will be back tomorrow at his usual time of 7 o'clock. The acts you heard there, you just heard Jason Faulkner with a track Lucky Day from his second solo album, Can You Still Feel? In between was Pugwash a local band uh, whose debut album Almond Tea as served by Pugwash is one of the finest albums of last year and that was a song called Darkness Makes Us Blind and kicking off we had Cotton Mather with a man called Harrison who sounds remarkably like John Lennon with a song called My Before and After however for many people one of the most spiritual and uplifting moments of the year was when a truly holy man when one of the all time greats actually stepped onto Thomas Street Song. Little Junior Park. A cousin of mine is going on, but he'd like to kind of carry on in his name.